Angel. Let's get it on. We bought a mic, bought a mic, bike. We bought a, bought a mic, we bought a mic, mic. We bought a, we, 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 we bought, we, we bought, we, 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 we bought. Did you add anything new this week, or is that just last week's? Because if so, no one's even gonna care. It's the same. Yeah, you set a precedent where now you have to update it every week or else it's just... Uh, yeah. I don't know about that. Like, five hours a week is all I'm asking. Where, where are you talking about, Drew? We're reviewing Searching this week. Oh. Our daughters are still missing. Hunter's trying to act like he wasn't fucking not here last week. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sorry, guys. My daughter went missing and I had to fucking use my internet powers. Yeah, that's canon, but... That's my superpower. Welcome to We Bought a Mic. I am Ernest Calderon. Welcome to We Bought a Mic, your home for reviewing movies that are 10 years old or older. I am Hunter Mobley. All right. Welcome to We Bought a Mic, guys. It's a film and pop culture podcast where we still haven't done an ASMR episode, but I want I want <laughs> that coming, vibe today. It's coming soon. It's, it's coming around. Today we're doing a recast of The Dark Knight, the dark masterpiece from Christopher Nolan, 2008 classic film. Mm-hmm. And we will also uh, have a little discussion of, is it good? Is it? It's bad. Guess you'll have to wait and see for a review. No, I'm um, just, I was just kidding. If, in case you're just going to turn it off. I don't right. know if people think that I actually... So talking Spider-Man on PS4 and a bunch of TV that we've been catching up on. So why don't we jump right into it? I don't think there's any news this week. No, yeah, the the creative arts or whatever Emmys happen, but we don't we didn't really look into it. We can we can talk about there's, that next week. There's a couple. I mean, there's a couple small things like you know Rick and Morty won for it's by far its worst season. Um, hey, Pickle Rick, man, dude, that was honestly epic, dude. <sighs> Rick and Morty, like their fans suck now. They ruined Rick and Morty. No, I'm not gonna let that they're, really bother me. Like they're the Philadelphia Eagles of TV shows, where it was like I was fans of them, and then their fans came out, and I'm like, I don't like. These I think guys you were anymore. a fan of them until they beat your team, Hunter. No, I think that has to do with it. My team is Patriots, aka the community of yeah. Patriots the NFL. fans suck. <laughs> Patriots fans are the worst. Patriots is not the community. Yeah, they're the community. No, it's uh, not. No. Patriots is big they're this deep theory. undercut. They haven't quite had their success yet, but no. just you wait. Oh my god. Um. And then, uh, are we just going to save the Emmys for next week then? Yeah, sure. Um, Very well organized. So I, I played a little bit of the Spider-Man game because Hunter brought it over to my place. Oh, okay. So I think the way we should do this is we should give... We're just, just, we're just very, learning as a group on the air how very, we're going to structure this. Very brief thoughts on the game. Uh, spoiler free and then I want to get into a little bit of spoilers. Just, okay. a, just a little bit. Because okay. I think it's... it's uh, you enjoy this game best when you know absolutely nothing going into it. Yeah. Just blank, blank slate. So totally free, spoiler-free uh, thoughts. I love this game. It is amazing. Uh, it's not perfect. There's uh, quite a, a bit of little things that could have been done better, but I just have such a personal attachment to Spider-Man as like, a character and then like spider-man games and the movies and all these things that like when this game starts and you just start swinging through the city the and way that the it music up is swells i i'm not gonna lie i 
I shed a little tear. <laughs> the way that cuts from the cut, yeah. the opening cutscene straight into you just swinging through Oof, the city. I, I choked up, dude. Like I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. This is so amazing. What what, what did you guys think of it? Um, I kind of share similar sentiments to you. I like I have some problem, like a little bit of like qualms, but it's more so nitpicks mm-hmm. and. Honestly, I don't even think that these would be nitpicks as much. Like, I wouldn't have noticed these as much if God of War, which might have just reinvented the whole open world genre, didn't yeah. come out earlier this year. That's kind of an issue with me is that... But the thing is, is in a lot of ways, this is the most perfected form of the open world genre that, like, whenever you think of, like, Assassin's Creed games, stuff like that, this is the best version yeah, of it. This is a version where... All of the little things, I want to do all of them. I want to collect all of the collectibles. Anytime I'm swinging through the sky and I see that there's a crime happening below me, I want to drop down and join in on the fight. Yeah, and and it doesn't try to uh, deviate too much from what's been established in open world games up up until this point. Like, these things like uh, um, towers that you access to open up... uh, Parts yeah, of the it's map. very Assassin's Creed, and yeah, and and um, side quests and and all these other things. Uh, all of that it, it, it uses these conventions in a way that works because of all these other games that come before it. But the fact that it's Spider-Man that you're swinging through New York City and that you're encountering all of these characters from the comic books and the movies, and and you're in a fully realized Manhattan. That is, it's so impressively animated and executed. And it's like, it's not, I know, I understand it's not like a one-to-one comparison, but like, it's kind of crazy how much it is like exactly like New York, just like little small details. Like we were playing, uh, uh, I was brought over at Drew's house and it was the, what was it? The Highline? Yeah, we, we yeah, yeah we were playing it, and I just I was swinging around, and I just landed on the High Line, and I was like, oh, I was walking on that a month ago in yeah. New York, and it's pretty much identical. Of course, it's going to be shorter, but uh, yeah, over. I mean, I'm not a, look, I'm not a big video game guy, but I really like this game. Uh, it, it, it's beautiful looking. First of all, it's very. Uh, it's intuitive. It's fun to just swing around. The physics yeah. in this game, yeah, are the physics are incredible. great, which is very important. And then the little side quests are pretty fun too. I do think that. Uh, the open world concept was um, maybe ruined a little bit for me by GTA Five because I just I can't get enough of GTA Five. Particularly, maybe the quests can get a little boring sometimes in GTA Five. Mm-hmm. But interacting with just random people and doing random things in that game is yeah. a lot better than it is in Spider Man. Spider Man people are just like, "Hey, Spider Man!" Yeah, but just the I think the fact that in in Spider Man that there are so many characters walking down the streets and you're able to like walk up to one of these rooftop parties and there's just people like hanging out drinking beers that the fact that it's not an empty New York is really really impressive mm-hmm. and the, it just feels like a really active busy lived in city whereas uh, a lot of other open world games they with when they try to expand a lot you don't get a sense of like it being very populated. Um, I don't think GTA really suffered from that too much. I mean, there are oh, rural no. areas where obviously there wouldn't be too many people. Yeah, it's on purpose. Yeah, but then when you get into the the urban areas, it's it's really well done. I I would love for Rockstar to one day make a superhero game. That would be really interesting for them to do. Yeah, yeah. I feel like the only way that, that would work is really if they did something like punisher or something like that where you are like more because one of the one of the things one of the appeals to gta red dead which of course we also are going to be talking about the new red dead game next month whenever that comes out but like 
what's so fun about those games is that you don't necessarily have to be doing what is considered a quote unquote like mission as much as you can just walk around the city and just fuck shit up and right. then you die and that's over. Yeah. And Play some restart. poker. Yeah. Um, but I just, uh, this game is, I, I had pretty high expectations for it and this game kind of gave me all of that and more the plot from what I'm like, I know I'm a little bit ahead of you, but there's been some awesome moments in the plot and it really has like this slow burn to it with certain characters that you encounter that yeah. I really appreciate that you don't just like swing into the action. It's like, ha ha ha, the Sinister Six is coming for Spider-Man. It's like, it's a little bit more of you actually know who these people are as human beings. And then, and the fact that seeing he's it already kind of unravel, he's already been Spidey for eight years. That's so best. He's yeah, already yeah, that's had awesome encounters with these villains. Like he's not meeting them for the first time. So, uh, small, mild spoiler alert. We're not going to get too deep into details, but if you don't want to know anything, just go ahead and skip ahead. But there's some things that I really, really love about some of the choices that they've made with the story. Well, briefly, before we do that, um, I just want to say that I think that we can both agree. This game is worth the $60. Oh, yeah. Like, without a doubt. I, I There's been a couple of games. This has actually been, like, really, like, kind of low-key, an incredible year for games. For PS4 games, I think between this and PS4, God of War... Well, P- PS4 and also the Switch has already had some great games coming out, and then they still have three great games coming out later this year, plus another, like, just other ports that are coming to this was essentially kind of a home-slash-portable console that nothing like that's ever been done yeah. before. I think it, this has been an incredible year for games. But, yeah, with PS4, with and this, this done, and God dude. of War, yeah. And Red Dead coming? Dude. Yeah, we still have so much but, more to go. So... The things, the choices that they've made with some of the characters here, I am so in love with. Like, J. Jonah Jameson as Alex yeah, Jones. Basically, yeah, he has like so just like good. a talk radio conservative oh podcast on I'm this. I'm so in on this. And uh, Wilson Fisk as a very like Trump like presence in New York City. So, to that point, um, I was just kind of going around the city exploring and I like landed at one point, I landed at the spot that would be Trump tower and it's Fisk. Tower. Exactly. It's so yeah. cool. <laughs> like it's Yeah. And also, um, Otto Octavius as this very like, um, sympathetic, mm-hmm. endearing father figure for, for Peter. Uh, I, that's really, yeah. really good. I'm I actually, so I want to talk, that. uh, some more about Dr. Octavius later, wherever we talk about the dark Knight, because I think that he's one of the few, really really good uh like well-written villains who mm-hmm. you actually do completely now, sympathize I, with i their... love the way they're setting it up in here yeah it's it's, oh, it's, it's so gonna cool pay off so well another thing about this game is this game got peter parker right which no game ever like no spider-man game has ever tried to like be a peter parker game but there's like points where there are these little research pods and you go there and do research and it's yeah. fun yeah. it's fun just doing these little puzzle things I'm like glad you the- i'm glad you brought this up because when you're in in auto in octavius industries in the lab and you do all these little like science you're doing science i was like holy shit like this is actually great. Yeah, this is it's really fun and it's yeah. really like intuitive that you, it's not something that you just look at and know right away and you're like, "Oh god, this is a waste of time." It's actually That's challenging. To to web-slinging. Yeah, it's it's challenging in the best possible way. Yeah. Um speaking to being challenging, this game um it drops you into this mission in inside like you're out swinging and then immediately you're taken into a building and you spend like the bulk of the opening of this game like in 
indoors. I think that's a bold choice. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a Spider-Man game. And like one of the first things you do, you're inside. Um, and it harkens back to some of the older Spider-Man games that had that a lot because it was very hard for them to do uh, right. outdoor swinging stuff. So they that they chose to do make those choices. Um, but in here, like this initial level, I found it like really intense and sometimes very challenging mm-hmm. and difficult. But it kind of teaches you everything you need to know about how to play the game and how to use the one. environment to your advantage. Exactly. Yeah. And I still find myself like really struggling to defeat some of Fist's uh, goons at the construction sites. Mm-hmm. Like all of those little side missions are really difficult. Yeah. Like this game, you got you got to know like how to work the combat and the flow of of the combo system. It's it's not easy. Mm. It's it's but it's not. It's also not something that's like overtly difficult either like it's something that it has that sense of satisfaction whenever you get it right that every great fighting game has that whenever you get something right you're like i know the moveset that can beat this guy one thing that was great i mean i don't want to like over compare this to god of war because it's kind of like apples and oranges but yeah super different with (laughs) but with god of war it was one of the things that was cool about that was there wasn't necessarily one way to defeat an enemy where with this right. it is kind of the old system where there's this one move set that you have to do to defeat them and mm-hmm. it doesn't really allow for as much creativity and it can get a little but- button mashy at times which is another sort of uh complaint i had with god of war one thing that i i I hate comparing this to God of War, but like it's the one game that keeps popping in my head. But God of War, there was this weight to everything. Like you felt the axe, you felt the blades. Like there was just this physicality to the movement mm. that I don't think really comes across in Spider-Man's uh, um, fighting style. Yeah, I only did a few battles, but they were all basically the same. Yeah. There's um, a lot of repetition. Yeah, and to the point that the character design was identical. And that honestly the bad guys. it honestly bothered me a little bit. You like you couldn't design a different sweatsuit for this guy yeah. to wear. Like it's all No, that's that all everybody has that red jumpsuit. It was yeah, on they're sale. wearing they're wearing the <laughs> jumpsuit that Sadekis wears in What Up With That oh, yeah. when he's dancing. And it's just like a little more it's cause I'm spoiled by GTA where yeah. everyone is different. Like it's the engine that Rockstar has is just you can't compete, which is it's not fair to even but compare. I think, I think in here, like there is a trade-off, right? So you do get a lot of sameness in terms of the um, fighting mechanics and some of the character designs, but the city itself just looks incredible. You know, when you're perched mm-hmm. atop these skyscrapers looking on, you don't oh, yeah. see... And as you're traversing the city, you don't see the city load in front of you. You mm. don't see it render in front of you. It's yeah. seamless. And yeah, the, like we were talking about how the, the physics of the way the light works is gorgeous. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, there's um, some amazing yeah. one of the One of the first things I did was I ran to the top of the New World Trade Center building because yeah. it's by far the biggest building in New York and the game. And it just looks unbelievable up oh, there. Like, it's, yeah. so it's really cool. No, I... um. Uh, a, a couple of things what you're saying uh, the whole thing about the world just being there in front of you uh, gave me uh, vibes back to Breath of the Wild where you can look on your map like get on a tall peak and look out and say I'm gonna go to that hill over there and you can actually go to that hill that's not just some randomly generated thing that doesn't actually exist on the map the entire map is there in front of you amazing um, yeah. I think that about the weightiness a thing that that's why I don't really mind 
it not necessarily feeling as much like you are Kratos or something like that is I love the fluidity of it all. Like, I love how light you feel whenever you're fighting. You look like you can just, like, flip and jump all over yeah. the place. And it's just the way that you dodge things and everything else. It feels very true to Spider-Man. And you got you to gotta learn to take advantage of that. It's taken me a little while to get the hang of, like, zipping around to different enemies mm-hmm. and, like, utilizing the different combo moves. Because one of the things I appreciated the most about, like, the big big spider-man game that everyone remembers spider-man 2 Mm. is all of the combos that you can do and and all of the different ways that you could take on bad guys and 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 utilize the the webbing and all of that i think in this game it's taken a step further with the skill tree and the gadgets and all of that and it's just it's i love that there's a lot for me to figure out and a lot in front of me to kind of chew on i'm glad that you brought up the gadgets because i love that they added that to this whole system that the gadgets that you have are all pretty vastly different from each other and as you play the game and get more practice doing stuff you learn what works best for different situations if you're trying to just go full stealth mode going in and attacking somewhere then you can learn the best way to do it if you're fighting a certain type of enemy that's fighting with some special ability, then you learn the best ways to combat against that. The actual suit powers that you have that are all oh, the pretty different. different. Suits. Yeah, I those are even, so cool. I haven't cool. even dove into that yet. I've, so I've much. pretty much been buying all the new suits nice. as I get them just because I just want all of the suits, even if some of them are pretty hacky. Oh, like, there's, yeah, there's some really there's, weird looking There's ones. this one that I just got to that's not a spoiler at all, but it's called Spider Punk. That oh, is, with the mohawk? Yeah, the mohawk. <laughs> or you have, like, yeah, the Liberty Spikes and then, like, a denim jacket. And you're like, uh, why Why is this one of the suits that I have? <laughs> mm. Also, uh, um, we should mention Mary Jane. Um, she's great. You get to play as her. She's kind of like a Lois Lane type reporter. Uh, she gets to do some cool stuff in here. It's it's a good, cool. uh, there good is change. another character who you also get to play as that I don't want to spoil because I know that you haven't gotten there yet. But it took me a second to realize what was actually happening and I was doing it. I was like, oh, my God, this is fucking incredible. Oh, this game. Yeah, we'll definitely no, have a, a, a full on spoiler talk yeah. later. I, on. I like that it feels like there's so much to do in this game. I, I've heard that this game, if you just went straight through the main storyline, it's only at about like 20 hours or so which isn't a huge length for a uh, I've heard it's more it's more like 30 if you want to do everything like but, 30 I mean, 40 that's and that's kind of what this game kind of one of the things I love about it is that this is one of the rare open world games where I do want to do everything Strive for I that see 100%. all these things yeah, yeah yeah I see these backpack these backpacks from wherever I was in high school I want to collect them all just to okay, can we, see the little collectibles and can stuff we talk in there about, uh, Peter Parker's backpack budget. <laughs> yeah how do you have He's 55 like, yeah. backpacks how, that dude oh, i shit. remember i mentioned that i was like that's a little there's like yeah there's so many and he's like oh man all my old backpacks yeah. i forgot about these things what the what <laughs> before Are you we, making them? before we wrap it up i just want to say what is clearly on everyone's mind is that in this game spider-man doesn't work at a pizza place which means you don't get to deliver pizza so zero out of ten this game sucks yeah 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 um, it does suck another this is this is not even it's barely related to the game but am I going to buy it? No. Do I have $60? No. <laughs> okay, and, so well, yeah. it's just like if a game like like GTA 5 came along where I played it and I was like this changes everything. Yeah. If that came along I would get it. But what this, about 
Red Dead's coming out. I'm gonna Same get people. that's the thing. I'm gonna yeah. get Red Dead because I know it's gonna like. But you were never you're never really an open world game kind of person though, were you? Well, GTA Five is open world. Well, no, no, no. But I meant like outside of the GTA of the Rockstar I, I, franchise. I wasn't a game person in general because I wasn't really allowed to have COD. any because they cost so much fucking money. Call of Duty. COD. Yeah. Dude, that was gonna get like, COD I could fly, 500 hours in I, COD. I could essentially, like, I was allowed to have, like, one or two games a year as a kid because they cost You're so You're going to get Blobs 4? Not going to get that. I'm probably, primarily, like, You're going to get used, Xenoblade Chronicles it's 2? The, it's the Fortnite killer. Okay. I kind of, <laughs> I've kind of just used games historically as more for social purposes, like to hang out with friends that I, like when I was a kid, I wasn't able to get driven to their place because they were across town or whatever. So I would just play on them with them like online. That's more what I've used games for. So I do prefer online games, honestly. Yeah, that's, like, that's, that's fair. And just because with most games I've played, they strike me as very corny because the, 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 the voice acting in most games is trash. Yeah, uh, voice acting in general most of the time is pretty bad. Here in Spider Man, though, I, I'm really impressed. Yeah, no, 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 I really like how the voice acting, and I like that it's not uh, just the like the core Marvel gang. Yeah, like, but it almost is. It's like it's it's a sidestep from the MCU universe because the Avengers Tower is in New York, dude. I I am so curious to see what they do with that. And okay, so while we're while we're kind of talking about it, because of course I took a photo was while I was there, the photo mode in this yeah. game i'm so glad that that's the thing yeah. that's included because that almost gives you even more of an appreciation for how beautiful certain things are like there Frame is just there right. are time lapses that occur in this game but like whenever you're there it's that sunset kind of time Ooh. and you're looking at and then whenever it goes to dusk till a like dark of night and you can just be like swinging through uh like Times square and just the lights yeah. everywhere it's and you have so beautiful you have, a, you have a big old tv yeah too, watching so. that like yeah. playing that on my tv is just gorgeous Ooh. absolutely gorgeous all right we we got to move on but we'll definitely touch back on this once we actually finish the we'll, we'll swing back around to it oh wait, 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 wait. i already Aaron made that joke so <laughs> <laughs> let's get into what we've been watching real quick just before we dive in, I just want to shout out Better Call Saul because it's uh, the sixth episode airs tonight, Monday night, and it's about to hit that midpoint of the season. This show is amazing. Are they it's breaking so, up the season? No, no. no. Okay. This show is so fucking good. It's it's everything that uh, I, I, I'm just so in love with this show. It's, it's meticulous in the best way. It's beautiful. The montages are perfect. The acting is amazing. It, it, it's so um, baffling to me that a prequel works as well as this show works, even though you know all of the fates of all the characters mm -hmm. and how everything's going to go. You're still invested in everything. And all the fates of the characters that aren't in Breaking Bad – you know that that you know for a fact don't show up in the original show. You're like, holy shit, what is going to happen with do them? You, do you know how much longer they're going to go? Because at a certain point, Bob Odenkirk's just going to be old as shit. So <laughs> he already is. <laughs> so in this newest season, for the first time, they had one scene that is in Breaking Bad time. Nice. Just real quick, they cut to it to remind you that they wanted to juxtapose the fact that like who Saul Goodman is is kind of like who Jimmy McGill has always been yeah. deep down. Yeah, but I guess, so I guess that could be, it's earlier than when Walt actually met him then. 
No, no. It's, it is. The scene is, it takes place during What's... the events of Ozymandias. Oh, it's fuck. Like, so it's late. Is it, was it a flash forward? Or it's, is a, it just... it's, it's, a, it's just one scene set in the office with the columns. Yeah. And it's like Saul and his assistant shredding everything. Huh. And him like calling up the cleaner dude to like give him a new identity. But so so it caught up with the end of Breaking Bad already. No, no, no just one. It's like yeah. A flash, so, it's, so it is a flash. Forward. Yeah, it's okay. a flash. It's a flash forward. Um, but we've seen other flash forwards in Better Call Saul before that are in black and white. Yeah, and that it's it follows a, a another persona that he's already taken on called Gene. Yeah, d- yeah. That's how the show started. Yeah, it was him as Gene working yeah, at Cinnabon. Exactly, in Omaha. Yeah. Um. So. This show is amazing. It's it's definitely going to end up on my list. Uh, again, it was my number two of last year. You know, I um, I feel like a phony critic of television for not watching that show because it's so good and everything's great about it's it. Slow as but fuck, it's slow as fuck, though. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a slow burn. And it is good. Whenever I sit it down and I'm off. like, okay, pay attention and I watch it, I love it. But... I just have other things that I'm. That I feel more the urgent urge to yeah. watch it because I'm like this. Because sometimes with Better Call Saul, it's like, well, this episode didn't deliver, but the next one will. But you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of what it is. That's why this is the show is like. I've only seen the first season of this show, so I can't really speak to where everything's going with the plot. But this just seems like the ultimate flex for Vince Gilligan that he had one of the most commercially successful. Uh, and like critically successful shows of all time with Breaking Bad, and then he could have made literally any show that he could ever could have possibly wanted, and he was just like, "I'm gonna make the most slow show possible. I'm gonna test like the mass audience's patience." Well, that makes sense. And still make something great because he came up. I believe he wrote he wrote for a sci-fi show. I think it was Battlestar Galactica. He wrote a ton of episodes for it. It's kind of like the uh, what, the guy Mitch uh, Hurwitz who made Arrested mm-hmm. Development. It's the same story where he made a ton of episodes of like Golden Girls and then he was like, now I'm going to write a pilot that's just for me. Yeah. He did that with Breaking Bad because that is the most like Looney Tunes pilot of all time and it worked out for, and it was a writer's TV show. So after Breaking Bad, he was like, I'm going to see how far I can take this writer's TV show shit. I'm going to make like the most slow burn, like antithetical to popular audiences show possible. But it's also, it's, it's that, but it's also the fact that like it's a huge risk to go back to that same well of like one of the greatest shows mm-hmm. ever made and yeah. to and to be like no we're not going to leave that alone we're not going to keep it in that beautiful case we're going to go back to it well yeah because the return to those characters yeah in that the, world. the risk the main risk was fucking up breaking yeah, bad exactly yeah and he definitely didn't do that like critics love it and the, most people just haven't seen it so <laughs> yeah i mean i'm we're in this era that we weren't in in when breaking bad was on where there's just too much tv like it's just literally impossible to watch everything that's yeah, out there too much and I mean, we're going to talk about this with succession later but this era of tv that better saw is better call saw is kind of in is kind of closing up it's kind of ending that yeah anti-hero like bad people dramedy tv yeah Um, but i think what makes better call saul so good is that there's all of these other characters around jimmy around saul definitely that um aren't necessarily that archetype and that are interesting spins on that archetype Mm -hmm. like this season one of my favorite characters is kim wexler his his girlfriend she is really kind of running away as the MVP of the mm-hmm. of the season because she you can tell in her performance in her look that she knows that this this dude is a fucking con man mm-hmm. that he's slimy as fuck 
but she wants to be there for him and take care of him and believe that there's something no. d- deep down in, in him that is good. She is she is a really well-written character. She was from the get-go. And I, yeah, I haven't seen the newest season, but she's only gotten better over time. And I think that... She gets a lot to do in this new well, season. Well, I think that Gilligan learned his lesson by because he underwrote the shit out of Skylar. And then all these sexist fans came out of the woodwork to be yeah. like, hey, she's a bitch. And he, so he kind of learned his lesson. He was like, oh, I should, I should kind of flesh out this female yep. so people don't just attack her for yep. no reason. I, I'm loving it. I'm, I'll keep. Uh, I'll come back to it when the season ends. I don't know how many se- how many episodes are this season, but it's a, it's about halfway. Um, another show that just came back is It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia on <sighs> FXX. So only one ep in. Um, guys, I was a little bit uh, underwhelmed with this episode. I thought it was just okay, and then it gets to the very very end. Spoiler alert for this new episode. Glenn Howerton comes back mm. and I laugh my ass off for the two minutes that he was on. And I was like, oh shit, that's why I wasn't so into this episode. See, I've, I've been saying this for many years now. I think he is the MVP of that show and no one calls him that because Charlie is, he gets all the good lines, I think. Yeah. But, and, and Frank is weird as fuck. Yeah. And Mac, you know, created the show yeah. from the whole cloth. But I really think that Dennis was something special on that show. And I think that uh, what this new episode pointed out, which is something that I've always kind of thought, is that Dennis is the problem with the gang. <laughs> and that literally, like, you have Mindy Calling shows up for this episode. Yeah, she's fine. I thought that she was actually good. <sighs> but it almost was like she was playing a role in a different show. Yeah. And then it all pays off in the end that it's like, the gang is all doing better and everything and then Matt gets this fucking creepy ass yeah. sex doll <laughs> that every time it cuts to that <laughs> it's just the most unsettling thing in the world to yeah. look at I haven't even god damn it don't spoil too much okay. <laughs> I didn't I didn't even know it came out I you know what I did though is last week I rewatched all of season 12 of always sunny oh because nice. I hadn't I had like kind of casually Hulu, watched it right yeah it is um so I, yeah I watched the whole thing in its entirety and it's it's just very impressive how far that show has come because after I finished it, uh, Hulu just restarted the show from season one up one. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just wild, man. Like the show, yeah, the it, show started and you had these, you didn't have Danny DeVito. You had Mac, uh, Charlie and Dennis, and they were all the same guy. They were all just bad. <laughs> yeah. They were generic bad guys. And it was still funny because no one had gone that far before. Obviously, it was, It's one it's, of the most ballsy pilots that I've ever seen. Yeah. In my life. And it's stuff that they could not get away with today. Charlie just like saying the N word and shit yeah, like, in the like, pilot. It's stuff they should. Yeah. That should not be made in today's climate. Um, And it's just it's impressive because the show evolved very quickly. I was expecting a bit slower of an evolution, but like we're talking like episode three is when like Mac being gay is possibly is introduced. Yeah. Episode two is when Charlie is stupid and like huffing paint and stuff. And then like probably episode four is when Dennis is a sociopath. Like they, they flesh it out really quick and they were like, all right, that's it. Those are the things. And it's, it's almost like an on the fly thing. It doesn't seem like it was planned. It was just like, Oh, we established that these guys have to be different somehow. Let's yeah. just, let's just go with that. Um, D on the other hand was always basically the same. Yeah. Um, kind of underappreciated but i think that she is a really, really oh yeah caitlin caitlin olsen is absolutely so funny. incredible yeah the, i show. mean the whole story is they they auditioned her they had the three guys they were all friends and then they auditioned her and they were like oh my god she's so good and then mac married her so in real life one thing that i will say that um i it's he's the off the screen mvp of this show is uh is mac 
just because of the things that he does to his body for literally <laughs> no goddamn reason. Yeah. Like, okay, so this is a minor spoiler for Drew, so you can plug your ears if you I want to. I know he's buff now. Yeah, yeah. He's No, ripped, that's dude. the thing, is he went from being just like normal Mac to skinny, to fat Mac, or to skinny Mac, to fat Mac, to back to skinny Mac, and now he's fucking jacked. Yeah. And... I don't know why he does these things and has things on the newest episodes. They're just like, why? Why did you do that? Because it's almost like... It's for the plan. Yeah, he just like, he does these things for like one little bit in like one episode of a show where he puts on 80 pounds and you're like, why? Just for that one joke or something. And that's something that I just appreciate he's, so much. Well, yeah, he's an aspir- aspirational guy. Like... Dan Harmon's another guy. He gets a lot of shit. But these these are two guys who they are not Harvard guys like almost everyone in TV is where they had the infrastructure and they made connections. Yeah. And these guys just moved to Hollywood and they made it happen. And that that's and just, weird. Yeah. And they, they both, you know, grew up really humble origins. And it's they're just, a little crazy. Yeah. And it's just it's very impressive to me what he's done. Like he's really carved out a space for himself. By the way, did you, did you guys hear that he's no longer making the Minecraft movie? Oh yeah, he's out. He left the project. That well, was probably also, a good move. They should yeah. probably not make that seeing as do kids even play Minecraft anymore? It's the problem with like the whole I the think I was talking movie? about this with you, um, Drew, about how like they made an Angry Birds movie last oh, year right, when right, nobody's right. playing Angry Birds anymore. Yeah. Because the thing is is fads in like micro gaming like that die quicker yeah. than it takes to and, make a movie. And mm-hmm. obviously Minecraft is a lot more stable than Angry Birds. Like it still has a huge uh, base of people playing it but the bigger idea is like video game movies suck so yeah, that stop trying <laughs> yeah and i think maybe somewhere along the development he was like oh there's really no way to make this good <laughs> um so i'm happy he's gone i really i wonder what he's gonna do because there was more sunny dude well, they just the thing is yeah there was a period probably five years ago sunny really really broke through and everyone was approaching him to say what are you gonna do and he he signed a minecraft and that was a big that was like a multi-million dollar contract for him um and so I really wonder if there's still like a hey, let's get Rob McElhenney to make a movie. I don't know. I hope I hope he still tries to make a movie because Charlie Day is acting and you know little bit roles and uh, fist fight, dude. Yeah, fucking that. <laughs> and Glenn is doing AP Bio, so everyone's kind of got their own thing. But I would like to see him like kind of make movie if he's gonna make movies i want him to do stuff like game night which is kind of high concept comedy it's kind of a role that like will ferrell would have filled in if like 10 years ago like i that's the kind of stuff that i want him to make over uh over something that's necessarily a big budget like i'd rather him be the the next like kind of john francis daly kind of guy like yeah because i I think that like the way Hollywood might kind of be looking at him is like a uh, John Favreau type where he's very good at just like sitcommy dialogue. And then the question becomes, how is he conceptually? How is he with like big plots? Not just, you know, not just kind of like episodic plots because there are a lot of episodes of always sunny that like deal directly with parody. Like yeah. they deal with like movie plots and they happen over the course of 30 minutes. I could minutes. see him making like a really awesome parody of like a, some kind of a political figure assassination. Something. Yeah. I, I mean, there's definitely a space for him. I, I'm, I don't know. I wasn't planning on talking about this, but I, I just, I've been thinking about like, what is he going to do? Cause I've, I'm interested in his career. I mean, I, there were rumors before the season came out that this was going to be the final season of Sonny and they're I really renewed hope that for another one. Yeah. I now I, they did. They, it was before they signed that renewal. Yeah. So I was really worried about this being the finale, but just, 
I will say, just thank God Dennis is back. Like, yeah, he's I mean, just... I don't think he's going to be like, he does say like, he's not fully back. Yeah. You know, I don't know if he's going to be like a main player. Um, but, you know, I, I did notice his absence. Mm. I did notice it. And uh, I hope that the season is able to man- maintain a level of quality because the last couple seasons have been like flex level, like quality of them yeah. just being like well, yo we're yeah. fucking good well it's doing what community did where it just goes into they they've kind of exercised every normal sitcom plot that you could possibly have with this group so they're just doing parodies they have like making dennis a murderer yeah and they ha- like there's you know there's documentary parodies there's action movie parodies they they're moving into that territory which is exactly what community did it and it was really successful all right let's move on to Drew, are you ready? You're going to talk about... Yeah, so I, I saved this... Dude, yeah. Portrait Mode is clutch. Yeah, so Hard Knocks, uh, the NFL perennial documentary series on HBO came to a close, and it was it was a Red Wedding episode. How yeah. many episodes was it? It's only five. five. Yeah. Oh, shit. Because it covers training camp, which is a very short process. It's like a month Training and camp, half. and then the preseason. Yeah. It doesn't training. actually follow them into the regular season yeah, whatsoever. Yeah, um, because that would be just giving too much intel over to other yeah, exactly. teams in the NFL. Oh, okay. Good point. Um, and be a huge distraction also. Like, plenty of people that have been on Hard Knocks do not like Hard Knocks because it yeah. kind of fucked with their development as a player. Well, I mean, and that's kind of what's so impressive about this. I know we talked about in the first episode that it's almost kind of unreal. Like, you feel like at certain points you're seeing things that you should not be watching. Like, they just have cameras, like, in the coach's room when they're talking about, like, planning for a team or talking about a certain yeah. player. And you're like, I shouldn't be listening <laughs> to this conversation right now. Yeah, and ultimately, like, you know, the teams do have a final say. I remember a couple years ago there was a news story that like the Packers learned the snap count of the Rams from Hard Knocks and it and it gave them an edge oh, up for like fuck. it gave them an edge up for like one series and then it was just fixed like it wasn't yeah. a problem anymore um but yeah this for some reason I never watched it so I mean it was because I didn't have HBO growing up but this is an amazing show man like th- to make this prestige quality of a documentary while on the fly and having about a week and per episode to put them together is pretty crazy um sometimes Sometimes I feel like they are kind of stretching out footage. Like I was feeling that a little bit toward the end where they're they're just kind of like trying to find stories. Um, yeah, I mean, especially with uh, certain uh, like people who are on the team and everything trying to give them things. Like there's that one guy, um, Kajust. Kajust, who's just like his thing is that he just like fucking loves rocks and minerals. He, well, yeah, well, he's he, like, like, <laughs> he like rubs with me. He's just like, yeah, this is... Uh, Zircon it gives you uh, bravery. Well, there's a <laughs> there's a lot of people like that in real fun. Yeah, it's know, not like it's not like a scientific obsession. It's like the mystical people. That's like power up. Yeah, they're like, yeah. Like, but, no, that's the and it shows him like in his locker room before the game, just like rubbing like two rocks. Yeah. And shit. Um. But yeah, this show there's a lot of comedy. There's a lot of tragedy. The thing the show does every year, they don't. They obviously don't know the outcome of training camp. They can't. They don't know who's going to get cut. But they find a few guys who are on the bubble and might get cut, and who also have very compelling stories. Because then you follow them, you you get an attachment, and if they make the team, you're so happy. And then if they don't, like you're very sad. Either way, it's compelling television. It's a very smart angle to take. I did want to talk some specifics uh, about the show. Um, if anything, uh, I kind of wanted. To- do like an MVP and an LVP. Uh, first off, with the least valuable player, um, 
This show highlights that Hugh Jackson should never be a coach in the NFL. He is the worst thing ever. Like, he, there's literally a scene in Hard Knocks where he's just like, I'm the head coach. When you're in this seat, you can make the decisions. And it kept giving me vibes to, like, uh, Game of Thrones with Joffrey on the throne and, like, Tyrion being like, a real king never has to say that he's king. <laughs> That's exactly the vibes I was giving me. And you see the offensive coordinator, Todd Haley, who worked with the Steelers for a while, like, looking like he wants to fucking kill himself. He's like... I went from the Steelers, which are one of the most stable franchises to the NFL, to the fucking Cleveland Browns, yeah. where Hugh Jackson is my boss. Yeah. Why did I do this? So, yeah, yeah. It, you you just, I love this. Sh- like, you get to know people that you just have never given a fuck about. I've never cared about Todd Haley at all. I've known his name since I was a little kid because he's been in coaching trees since I was a small child. And I've just never thought twice about him. And then all of a sudden, I love this guy. He's funny. He's he's kind of candid. Uh and then Greg Williams, I've always hated because he notoriously... And he does not get any better from the show. Yeah, either. exactly. And you hate him. Like, <laughs> this show really kind of gives you a genuine outlook on these people. Hugh Jackson, the perception has always been he's pretty incompetent. And the reality is that he is very incompetent. Yeah. No, I mean, but I mean, to your point about that, we spend a significant amount of time with the fourth string quarterback, an undrafted quarterback named Broken Roback, yeah. who is... A nominee for I have a couple nominees for the MVP of the show. He's definitely up there. He's, yeah, he's a, he's just a classic bro character. You just go to a like bro, him. and he's so goddamn stupid that yeah. he's lovable. He's, yeah, he's just a big old idiot, <laughs> yeah. and you get you would never know his name if you didn't watch the show. There's a there's a part where they're at like a uh, um, what do you call it? They're at a, like it's not a zoo thing. They're at some kind of like outdoor greenhouse or some kind of greenhouse kind of thing. And there's a butterfly that lands on him, and he's just like, "Yo, dude, is this one of those butterflies that like change color?" And, and the guy's like, "That's a, that's what lizards do." <laughs> <laughs> he's just a fucking moron. He's just so stupid. Um, but yeah. So I was getting a little bit bothered, honestly, by how much time Kajust was getting. Because this is their tactic. They find guys with heartwarming stories to kind of, you know, play with your emotions. It can't all just be hard-nosed, like, watching guys, like, fight or whatever. So you're just following this guy. His dad has had, like, five heart attacks, and he loves him so much. And, like, they have this weird whistle thing where his dad comes on to the sideline, and he starts whistling. And Kajust is looking around like, oh, oh, where's my dad? Where's my dad? And then he finds him. So, and then, like, you know, you see Kajust, like, cry and stuff. And oh, no. Yeah, but then they just keep following him, and I know it's more boring to watch good players, because most good players are pretty quiet, and that's why they're good, because they just focus on their job, but like at a certain point, I was like, I've had enough of Kajust. Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> for me, uh, that was the uh, defensive lineman character. Not Carl. Um, yeah, Orchard. Guy. Nate Orchard. Nate Orchard. I just didn't give a fuck about. It. He's like, look, I have these kids, man. I got to support him somehow. And his wife's just like, I make the whole. I make the whole team yeah, cookies. I, I make cookies. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I don't give a shit about yeah, you or your family. Yeah. Some of these. Some of these people flop, but for the most part, they they did. It, I mean, for doing this on the fly, they did a good job of allocating their time. Um, another nominee I have to shout out is the offensive line coach for the Browns, Bob Wiley. Yeah. <laughs> His thing, he looks like, um, for listeners at home, he looks like a, he's wearing like a Andy Reid bodysuit. He looks like Wilford But he's Brindley. somehow even more yeah, ugly. He, he looks like the diabetes guy except fatter. He's, he's so- he literally, he gives a thing at one point where he's just like, where he doesn't believe in stretching. And he gives this whole anecdote that he's just like, in World War II, when we landed on the beaches of Nerm- Normandy, do you think the soldiers were doing stretches yeah. on the beach worried about pulling a hamstring? No, I've never stretched a day in my life. And you're like, I can tell. Yeah, and, what- and he's an amateur musician he's an amateur magician on the side yeah and 
like drives, this guy. He drives the little white Maserati. <laughs> You know, in real, the best documentaries, like they sniff out where there's like a character that's in real life, a guy who just shouldn't exist. (laughs) And that's what this guy is. Uh, Overall, I was really impressed with this show. I had a great time. Obviously, if you're interested in football, you're going to be more inclined toward it. But even if you're not like Allison, my my girlfriend got crazy into it because it's just well-made documentary. Um, And this almost uh, one more thing about the show is this really makes me wish that we could have like that HBO had some kind of live rights to some sports things because HBO just has the best cameras of anything. So it has like footage of preseason games after the games have already happened, of course, but it just, it looks fucking incredible. Like you see every goddamn blade of grass because they have the budget and the camera quality to do these kind of things that NBC and CBS don't ever do. Um, and as spoiler alert, sorry, Ernest and everyone, but as far as what I said, uh, as far as the red wedding goes, this was ev- everyone gets cut. Like <laughs> everyone that we follow very closely, there are certain people that we know they're going to make the roster. So the producers are probably like, well, then where's the story at? Like we know their fate and they have to, there has to be a fate at the end of the season for it to be a season of something because there, it doesn't continue for another season. They just go somewhere else. So there has to be an ending. Uh, and so they pick guys that are on the bubble. Usually some make it and some don't. In this case, everybody who was on the bubble just got cut from the team. And it was actually very heart-wrenching to watch. Yeah. Even guys, there's some guys you knew were going to get cut. Kajust got so much screen time. The most screen time out of anyone in the whole show this season, he was a four-string tight end at the end of the day. He's not going to make the team. You don't need four yeah. tight ends. Yeah. Um, and then Brogan Roback is an undrafted quarterback. They don't make it. They just don't. And it's very sad. But then the, the, the real... Uh, like cinematic almost moment was when because there's been this competition between these two defensive guys that we've been following nate orchard and this other guy they both had these great moments in the preseason finale and and the voiceover guy who sounds like a burly nfl man is like they can it's only uh, he- it's um who is it it's uh lee it's not lee uh leave schreiber who is this it's not leave schreiber <laughs> so anyway anyway the the voiceover guys they they keep on making this narrative of well they can only choose one both of these are good players but only one will make it so they cut one and you're like ah oh, shit well at least Carl still made the team and then they're like well all the other teams also just cut free agents and now the Browns want to get one of those so then they call in the other guy it is Leaf Schreiber Leaf Schreiber oh, really? is the narrator <laughs> Ray Donovan yeah himself? Ray Donovan is the wow. narrator I, I knew it I knew that, that big was get serious. big get uh. But yeah, so it was it was truly like a cinematic tragic ending of just like everyone's gone. Um, Damn. And I I just I really appreciated this as an exercise in like it's kind of documentary making under circumstances that it, it, you can't really compare to anything else cuz every season they have a formula but they have to find the formula in real life. And I think that's pretty cool. It's almost like Nathan for you. They have they have a guideline of what they want to shoot, but it might just not be there and they have to just find something else. They just find a, a weird tight end who loves his dad and is into like crystals and rocks. And they're like, well, yeah, you can, that's, you can film that's that a guy. really good way to approach nonfiction filmmaking. Yeah, exactly. You, know? you like, could either, you could either just stand back and turn a camera on and see what happens, or you can set out to like really tell a story exactly. and like really find a way to find a truth in what you're capturing without like, telling people what to say and what to do yeah and that's that's why i compare it to to nathan for you not just because my brain is broken and that's the only thing that i love <laughs> uh because it's a mix of they have a formula they have a certain amount of episodes in very limited time so they have to stick to a b and c but also they have to find a b and c like mm. it's i i think that's incredibly impressive i will say um one 
I guess it's it's kind of it's less so like a criticism with the show uh, specifically, and more so just kind of a fault that you're going to run into. Is I'm not really sure how rewatchable Hard Knocks was. Like after I finished the finale came on, I was almost just like I want to go back and watch like old seasons of Hard Knocks, and then I kind of thought to myself like, well, wh- why do I care? I'm gonna look back and it's gonna be I'm gonna be following these guys who I know aren't on any team they are <laughs> nobodies and they're out of the nfl working at like used car dealerships now so like <laughs> why do i fucking care <laughs> like it's true though like, maybe maybe for really old ones it'll be interesting because you just see guys that you're like oh i forgot about that i guy. mean like i do think it'll be kind of interesting just for like going back for example watching like the dallas stuff with like old tony romo and des des exactly. stuff like that yeah because but, going back they've it, it's almost random which franchises they choose. Sometimes it's a good team. Sometimes it's the worst team in history, which is the Browns. Maybe it's whoever agrees. That to, is, oh, yeah, yeah, that is it. They That's go, a big thing because they try they, every year. They try and do the Patriots, and Bill Belichick's like, no. He's like, hell no. We <laughs> fuck no. no. We secretly film other teams. We don't need you filming. Get us. the fuck out of here. We don't need. You, we don't want anyone seeing what's going on in our locker rooms. You yeah, exactly. we don't want to see that. That'll be. That's uh, X-rated yeah. premium well, it's content. Just, it's Bill smart. Belichick like fucking all the players. <laughs> yeah. Like you fucking no more false starts. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I really enjoyed this. I think you could still get a lot of enjoyment even if you don't like football. I I really liked it. Yeah. Um, so so uh, moving on to the next thing, yeah, which is, is less less a show and more so a podcast with visuals. Oh, <laughs> LeBron. So, so now Ernie's listening. <laughs> um, yeah. So LeBron, he like obviously it's very publicized. He he made the move to L.A. Uh, he went to the Lakers. A big factor in this move was that he wants to get into producing films. Like, it's genuinely a passion of his. It's something he wants to do after he retires from basketball. Um, and the school that he started, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, he did that in Ohio. Oh, um, that was in Cleveland. Yeah, yeah. Because it was kind of like a, hey, sorry. I, uh, <laughs> hey, sorry. No, just kidding. <laughs> no, he's actually a, a great, interesting person and very smart. And that's kind of what this show is. It's it's called The Shop. Um, essentially, it's his attempt to recreate like the black male barbershop experience, which is just talking with other dudes just about everything, about their experience in the world. Um, and I think it pretty... is, is there any actual hair being cut? Yeah, there is. Like people, someone will just... very little, but that's kind of a thing they bring up in the in the show is that there's just like people in primarily black barbershops all around the country like in some like somebody's hometown that there's just a guy who just comes into the shop and he just like sits over there <laughs> in the corner out. and they're like hey man you up next you going and he's just like no nah, i'm just I'm yeah good. so, <laughs> so <laughs> they're just there for the conversation which is kind of yeah. the thing and that, this is this show really impressed me uh because it is it's lebron who is very respected among people in entertainment and sports uh and then it's also produced by hbo which is like the network so the lineup of people you have in this episode is pretty unbelievable you get vince staples who is one of the funniest most outspoken people period uh you get odell beckham jr who is uh one of the biggest personalities in the nfl just talking earnestly about his experience because these these people get reputations and you don't actually ever get to hear them talk because if they talk in front of microphones like in the nfl or nba they're expected to say certain things yeah they have constraints so this is without those constraints you also have candace parker who's a legendary WNBA player bringing in kind of the female perspective of being an athlete uh and then you have snoop dog nice just chilling uh and then he smoke uh, not in, not in it. <laughs> and then he you, definitely was. Yeah, and then point. and then you have a uh, John Stewart, 
who actually yeah, yeah he oh, was he wow. was there and he actually did a lot of the, a lot of the talking he's obviously a very funny guy and politically outspoken what the hell is john stewart even doing yeah he's just chilling just chilling yeah. like lebron was just like hey i like you you want to just do this cool thing but i mean like, they sure. they have a it, it is kind of a cool like inside baseball kind of thing where it is of course it focuses a lot on athletes and stuff like that but it also kind of focuses on both the black experience and the entertainer experience exactly where they kind of talk about and john stewart talks about how he just got to this point where with making the show he feel like he he felt like he did everything that he wanted to do to the point where something that he once loved just became work for him Mm -hmm. and he just didn't have the same push to do it and as soon as he felt that push he dropped out that's why it was also sudden his descent from the daily show and from the limelight and everything was just because he just didn't want to do it anymore so he if he felt like if you're not putting a hundred percent your all into it then you shouldn't be making it you shouldn't be taking that spot for somebody else who is willing to give their all and who is willing to do something new and different which is really cool and lebron kind of shared that sentiment that he was like i want to still play basketball right now because i still feel like i have this hunger inside of me despite yeah doing all these crazy things that i'm debatably the greatest basketball player of all time but i still have this hunger to do this and whenever i don't have that anymore then i i'm I'm gonna leave yeah uh this just conceptually i thought this show was very smart to make like you said in the age of podcasts like like late night format interviews are kind of going by the wayside because we know that they're fake like you you can really feel the fakeness in a jimmy fallon interview Mm -hmm. you just know it's not real um, you would never find a conversation one iota as good as this conversation in this, where you have like six different people just, they're kind of talking over each other, but you really, the camera coverage is great. Like whoever's talking has, you have a great angle on them. It's a great looking thing. Like it's really successfully the aesthetically recreates, like it's just in a barbershop. <laughs> oh, it's not a set. Yeah. And then, right. and then LeBron is kind of the king of the show. So he's sitting higher up in a barber chair than anyone else. <laughs> and then just occasionally also like, he's massive. Yeah. And then it'll just cut to like Vince Staples. You get the sense that time is passing because the lineup of people in there is actually changing as the episode goes on. Like it's just like a barbershop. People are just coming in and like leaving. Um, you'll just look over and Vince Staples is just getting his haircut in the background. It's very, I thought it was really naturalistic mm-hmm. uh, when it could have been very staged and it just felt real to it, me. It did feel very, it almost felt like this is something that they just were filming stuff for like hours and hours and then they just put together 30 minutes yeah. of it. Like and you feel like there's so much more there that's yeah. untapped. They could, they could probably release like a hour or two hour cut yeah i mean every episode. and that kind of goes to my point where uh, this is less show, like to compare it to another thing i mean comparing it to hard knocks since we just talked about that another hbo thing hard knocks still at the end of the day feels like a tv show this isn't really a show it's more so just at, like it claims to be a talk show but it's more so like I mean, my favorite interviewer is Bill Simmons, and whenever you reach this point, usually whenever he's doing the interview, he's the best at it because he gets to that point quicker than anybody else, where usually 20, 30 minutes into an interview on a podcast or something, some guy the long form of interview, the person who's being, the interviewee kind of drops their guard, and Bill Simmons is great at that because he's able to do that within five, ten minutes talking yeah, to a and person. He's, and he's very close to and, Vince Staples, non, and, non-coincidentally. Yeah. Vince is just like, yeah, I'll but, just say whatever. That's kind of what this show is cool about that's why it more so just reminds me of podcast interview more so than a tv show because it just seems all like you said very naturalistic and just like you're just watching you're just a fly on the wall watching this dialogue happen yeah and just getting conversation like candidness out of people at this level of fame 
is very rare. Yeah. Most of these people will never be on a podcast because yeah. they have better shit to do. <laughs> yeah, and it's like it's kind of cool them talking about how like what this having this kind of platform means to them and why they feel that they should or should not speak out on certain issues. Yeah, like and also things like whenever the whole Trayvon Martin thing happened, LeBron it was a hugely publicized thing that him and his teammates went out there wearing all black, like right before the game, like because they were yeah. in Miami. He he talks about it on this thing that whenever he heard about that news, he had to like have this talk with his kids because that could have been his child. Like that, it's totally different going at something when you have a black child who is about the age of Trayvon Martin Damn. and he literally could have been in that position and just yeah. been shot down for no reason. Yeah. So this, this show is in another way, it's a huge flex on Fox news who, whenever Le- LeBron is decided at a certain point, he talks about this. Eventually he was just like, I'm just going to be politically outspoken because I want to be, and I can't just watch all this shit happen. Yeah. Uh, which is very admirable. And what he got was famously Laura Ingraham on Fox News saying, shut up and dribble. This Damn, is this yeah, is a, this is a flex as fuck. This is a huge flex on that whole yeah. notion of he should just be quiet. Guess what? He got an HBO show. She could never get an HBO show because yeah. people care what he has to say. Dude, she sucks. Yeah, yeah. they all suck. And I he is he's articulate. He's smart. The people he talked to are smart and articulate. They're portrayed as dumb jock athletes. And that's just not the case. And that's why this show is important. Does he have an overall deal with HBO? Yeah, he does. Um, okay. He yeah, he's he has a production company. He produced that weird game show for NBC. Yeah, um, what's it? It's like giant plinko. Yeah, it's not a good show. It's an hour long when it should be twenty minutes. No, but definitely not. It's... But this is this is what he's going to do after he retires. Like people are like, oh, are you going to be a coach? Are you going to be a GM? I think he realizes that influencing public opinion can be more important than sports. Yeah, there's true power to television. Yeah, if you, if you, I mean, clearly, like, look at our fucking president. So he he knows that that can be more powerful than anything. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, if I'm criticizing it, uh, I think, I don't know. It's hard. Cause like I said, the whole point of this is to recreate like the black male barbershop experience, but I kind of want them to get more women in there. Cause they had Candace Parker and her talking about being a female athlete was really, it was nice. A, it was really interesting perspective and she only got about a minute of screen time. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, this is just a fascinating show. It's natural. It as a pitch, like you hear the pitch and you're like, yeah, that makes sense in 2018. Every part about it makes sense. Like it's a smart idea. Dope. Yeah. Dope. I mean, there's only been one episode so far, but I really hope that they do several more just because I'm just interested to see and more athletes that athletes and other personalities that they're able to bring into this whole thing just to hear their, some of their thoughts and takes on stuff like that. Mm-hmm. All um, right. That's the shop in hard knocks on HBO. And there's another HBO show that we're going to talk about in a little while, but, before we get into that, I think, Hunter, you've been watching a couple movies, haven't um, you? Yeah, so I wanted to briefly talk about... Um, so for the first time this past week, I watched uh, Perks of Being a Wallflower, which I had never seen before. Um, it's oddly kind of a divisive movie. Um, a lot of people find it pretentious and it just kind of being fine. about white people and their struggles and everything. I actually found this movie to be really, really good. I actually really kind of loved this movie for what it was. Um, It's based on a book. Yeah, it's based on a book. It was actually written and... The screenplay is written and directed by the man who wrote the book. uh, Oh, I didn't know that. And 
it's cool because it feels like this is a cool, unique version. I know um, I watched this movie with Gaia, who's also read the book, and they do something in this movie which they don't do at all. It's a big twist from how the book works, and I think that it actually works a lot better from a storytelling perspective. Um, slight spoilers for uh, Perks of Being a Wallflower. Uh, Drew, have you ever seen this? Or no? No. Oh, okay. Um, this is also, uh, notably, this is where... Uh, Ezra Ezra Miller got his fame from, yeah. and he is fantastic in this movie. He is so goddamn good. He is, he's by far the most memorable part of this film. Like I, I saw this movie. I did it come out in twenty eleven, twenty twelve, twenty twelve. Yeah, so it's been a few years, and I don't really remember much except uh, Ezra. Ezra's great. I I actually think that the whole cast did really really good. Emma Watson, who I'm kind of torn on. Sometimes I think that she's great and stuff. Other why other times I think that she's pretty underwhelming. I thought that she actually does a lot in this movie. She does like a lot of heavy lifting for a Her character American that isn't as fleshed out. Yeah, good American accent. Um, Logan Learman, who plays Charlie, I actually really liked him a lot. As very, it's a very subdued performance, but I thought that he really made the most of it um, with this character, and you can really tell. That this character has a lot of shit going on in their life. Um, shout out to Paul Rudd playing like the uh, almost. Um, I don't remember that. He plays the English professor. It's oh, like nice. he's like a toned down version of a uh, uh, dead poet society. Robin Williams, <laughs> um, but he DM. he's not funny at all, and he's a good dramatic like character that he's not dramatic i wouldn't say but just as like a side character it's like it was kind of not zany it was refreshing to see him not zany or anything because i did i also watched um they came together this week which is completely on the opposite side of the paul rudd spectrum time yeah for i've seen that movie so many times um but i really really enjoyed this movie i mean i it's kind of it's gotten kind of tumbled to death uh but the (laughs) quote of um (laughs) We, we like seek the love we think we deserve and stuff like that. Like that's such a beautifully written line. That's kind of it's kind of screenwriting, uh, screenwriting flexing in a way. But it's just so perfect. And there's a lot of those lines in this movie. I one of the things I really liked about it is that it does feel very real, which a lot of coming of age kind of high school movies don't it's a lot of high schoolers not acting like how kids act or not saying things that kids say and i thought for the most part this movie did a really good job of just showing kids being kids Um, i like the party scene with the acid yeah it's it's pretty optimistic for how friend making works in high school that this kid just happened to fall into a group of people who are also outcasts so they just kind of embrace him um but no i i I really enjoyed this movie. If you haven't seen it before, I would definitely check it out. There's a big twist that comes at the end, which I actually, it kind of shook me and it made me kind of want to rewatch the whole movie because um, here, uh, spoilers for Perks of Being a Wallflower right now um, for a six-year-old movie. Uh, It's kind of, it's revealed in the end that the reason why uh, Charlie is so messed up is because he was frequently molested by his aunt and oh shit i forgot about that it's something that it's geniusly done throughout the whole movie where you're kind of led to believe because you know it it talks about how 
the aunt used to date and bring home all these really shitty guys and he clearly has some mental things going on so you just think like he was like either abused or sexually abused by one of these boyfriends that was brought home that permanently scarred him but then and it keeps cutting to this one shot of him as a little kid and the aunt leaning in saying this will be our little secret right before she goes on she dies and you kind of he always is blaming himself for her death saying because she went out to go like buy him a birthday present the day that she died and all this stuff and that's kind of the thing that you think carries this emotional weight that he this emotional burden that he carries with him but when it's when you get that big reveal at the end and he has to go to like basically the not insane asylum but he has to go to actual like therapist and be has to be basically baker acted for his behavior and it all comes out mm-hmm. i thought that that was really effective and really earned that uh yeah that's a tactic that usually works i mean the earliest example i can i'm sure there are plenty of really early ones but the earliest i can think of is catcher in the rye where yeah yeah, and, I, yeah. and i tend to really like stuff like that because it's like it's ex machina but not plot it's it's emotional ex machina but it's not ex machina because it's explaining something that was before it's not explaining how the end is going to work yeah well and yeah so, yeah i i don't find it to be ex machina just for that point that it's this character who you know that there's a reason why this character is fucked up but the subversion of why you think this character fucked up is fucked up. I don't think that's ex machina as much as it is just good writing and good direction for the fact that it can mislead you like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, if you haven't checked out, how Percival did you watch Flower, it? Uh, I actually, I, wa- I rented it on Google play. Oh, nice. Um, I don't think that it's on anything. I don't believe so, but yeah, I, I definitely would say this is worth a Blu-ray buy. Um, if you're out there like me and you collect physical media, I don't think this guy has, I know he's written some other stuff. He did wonder. He wrote and directed wonder. He also was a writer on beauty and the beast. And, uh, it was, he, he wrote for, Oh yeah, that's, this is the big thing that as soon as I saw this, I was like, Oh fuck. Yeah. For all you musical heads out there, he was actually the screenwriter for rent. Oh, nice. Which I think is a, they did. So he's a good good adapter. Yeah, he's really good at... I mean, well, he adapted his own stuff with Perks of Being Wallflower, and he might have written Wonder, too. I'm not positive on that one. Oh, shit. He is the co-creator and writer of the short-lived... Uh, Jericho series <laughs> on CBS. R.I.P. to that. Anyone watch Jericho? Yeah, and Jericho. It goes. Heads it goes. There? It goes. Lost Jericho leftovers, dude. In terms of like confusing shows, <laughs> I shed a tear when Jericho was canceled. I, Did honestly, you? You strike me as a Jericho <laughs> <Did> guy. <laughs> You strike dude, me as the only was, Jericho guy in high school. I was so into that show, and then it got canceled, and I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. What the fuck? You were one of three people watching that show. Well, you know why I got canceled? It was on CBS. Yeah. No one on CBS wants anything conceptual. Yeah. No. Like, it's CBS They're like, when does Law & Order come back yeah, on? Yeah, conceptual on CBS means it's about nerds, <laughs> period. That They're like, what, nerds? What even is that? Um, well, that's fun. I might check it out. We should we should really consider our audience. Like, is our is our new rating system going to be like worth the Blu-ray or not? Yeah. Well, that's my that's always been my yeah. I know. You'll buy anything. For, well, and for I do own very BVS on I, Blu-ray. I, I own one Blu-ray, so for me, essentially nothing <laughs> is worth the Blu-ray. We're on both. Ep- but what about Dragon Ball Evolution? Is that on? Is that worth a Blu-ray buy? I don't have the Blu-ray, so it's not. <laughs> If it was, I would have it. 
Um, okay, so before we get talking about succession, um, I should say, I know Ernest, he already plowed through the show. I also, I reached a point in the show where I just couldn't stop watching it, so I also plowed through the show. Fuck yeah. And I still, after finishing it, I still had this like major McKay itch that I needed to be scratched. So I rewatched uh, Step Brothers. Which recently, I believe that that might have turned ten this year. I think that it came it out, and yeah, it, it came out in yeah. two thousand eight. Um, just like the other movie that we're going to be recasting, um, I hadn't seen this movie in years. This this movie is it's so good, and nothing happens in it. That's yeah. what's so impressive about this movie is it's one of the funniest movies I've ever seen, and there's literally no plot. It's like, just people being stupid. The the plot of this movie is the Catalina wine mixer. That's not even brought up until like. 25 minutes left in the movie like that's like at the very end they're like the Catalina fucking wine mixer and it's it's just one of those things where it's just really really funny people just kind of at the peak well, of their powers yeah did you ever listen to the I forget which interview it was one of the ringer podcasts with Adam McKay where he was talking about how they conceptualized it I think I may have talked about the oral history that they did of that movie of stepbrothers just, oh, yeah, yeah just yeah, like yeah. a written oral That's history great, on the ringer great read it's real yeah it explains a lot because essentially like McKay and Farrell worked together since SNL like McKay they made each other huge basically like, they're they both were, writers they, they were a di- well uh, Farrell was a star yeah yeah but, and, but they, yeah they wrote together yeah. and he McKay wrote for Farrell. Right. Uh, and so they had worked together a long time and then they met John C. Riley. And the, the, basically the base premise of this was not like, Hey, what if, you know, these guys move home? There was no plot. Imagine that's why there is no plot because the first thing they thought was, McKay was like, I really want a, a movie where a uh, bunk bed like collapses on a guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and that's kind of. I I think it was. I listened to an interview that Will Ferrell did uh, with Bill Simmons. Shout out to Bill and the whole Ringer Squad. Um, that they just kind of talked about this whole uh, the making of Step Brothers and how the two of them came up with this. And it's funny, like looking on the credits, it's the three writers for this movie are Adam McKay, Will Ferrell and John C. Riley, because McKay is one of those directors, kind of like Judd Apatow, where he just, he's a naturally funny dude. So they'll just be filming something. and it will just shout a line for one of them to read. Yeah. And that just kind of, it all has that feel where it's not at like you're watching something that's dynamically directed, but it'll just cut to one guy saying something funny, cut back to the other guy saying something funny and that goes on for like five minutes <laughs> when they're just like laying they're laying in the beds next to each other like talking about I'm like I'm a fucking I fucking hate yeah. you like just until you close your eyes <laughs> it's the same feeling I get uh, watching Always Sunny a lot of the time where if you look at someone's face you know they're about to laugh um, because and they cut away right yeah before. because yeah. because it's friends just like Always Sunny it's people who were friends already and they're just fucking with each other yeah. like that yeah that's why this movie is great if you watch outtakes of this movie or any adam mckay movie you hear him shouting lines because he has a megaphone and he's just yelling <laughs> um and another f- funny thing about this movie is that they had to move wh- whatever it's called it's like the pa island or whatever something island the the place where everyone that's not in the shot is they had to move it like down the street from the movie like they had to get extension cords because everyone was laughing too hard <laughs> Like the, oh, a uh, video video village. Yeah, video exactly. Yeah. yeah, this is a. It just has an atmosphere about it of people just trying to have fun with each other, kind of like Wet Hot American Summer. Like you can just tell that they were having a really good time. Can you guys pick a uh, favorite scene? Oh God. Okay, so I have a couple. I mean, 
Really, I'd say the most rewatchable scene is the balls on the drum set. Oh, okay. Like that that whole scene. And actually, in that interview uh, I was talking about with Will Ferrell, Will Ferrell said that's his most prized possession from working on anything else. If you go into his house, he has the prosthetic balls yeah. like in a glass frame in his house. Yeah, and they spent like a good amount of, of money. Course. They spent like yeah, of so much of the budget. My, my favorite balls. scene is probably fucking Adam Scott's family. In the car? Yeah. Okay, that was my number two, is them singing Sweet Child of mine in the car it's, it's the it's perfect amazing. the perfect introduction to Derek and also like Adam Scott was not a big dude whenever this no. movie came out well like, he wasn't a comedy guy he wasn't in any no comedies. yeah he wasn't he, he was kind of trying to break in as like a pretty attractive like movie yeah. star kind of guy and then really after this movie came out people were like oh my god Adam Scott is hilarious and that's how he got gigs like well, Perks and Rec well yeah because he got after that he got party down yeah it was the same casting person um my, this is cheating, but my favorite scene is the the gag reel. It's it's one of those gag reels. There are, there are like probably six or seven on YouTube that I hold in like the highest esteem. And it's like whose line is it anyway? It's always sunny. It's the office, and it's Step Brothers. Nice. And it's Anchorman. Like oh yeah. And all those Classic. have one thing in common, which is the over. It came over time with the office where they all got to know each other and became friends. But with all the other ones, they were just already friends. And it's just people. They know the audience is the other guy. It's not a broad audience. They're just trying. They're to making be, each other. Laugh. They're trying to be funny for themselves. Yeah, and I really appreciate that. Another and they just make a movie out of it. Another. This isn't even really a scene as much as it is just this whole movie. You can just pick apart. There's never a lull in this movie, which I appreciate. It's like an. It's less than an hour and a half long. Like there's yeah. no lull in this movie. Yeah, and. The whole, as soon as they become best friends from the bunk beds collapsing all the way through them doing the joint interviews together up to Boats and Hose, like, that's just, like, a segment where you watch it. I've watched this movie multiple times. I haven't seen it in a while, but still re-watching that whole series happen. I was just dying the entire time. Like, it's just so, so great watching it. Um, also, shout out to Katherine Hahn. As Alice, as Derek's wife. Also, this- shout out to Richard Jenkins. And Richard Jenkins, yeah, <laughs> yeah. as Robert Doback, I, who is the most fantastic. unsung actor well, yeah, of our time. Well, that's the thing that a lot of great comedies do that broad comedies don't, is they hire dramatic actors to be foils to the comedic actors. And they don't tell them, hey, ham it up. They just tell them, like, react how you would react if this happened to you. Yeah. That's where half of comedy is. A lot of dramatic actors come into comedies and then they try to be funny. And that never, almost never works. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I wanted to shout out Catherine Hahn too, because she is, in my opinion, I'm, I think she's the most underrated actress working in film, not just from this, obviously she's amazing in this and truly funny, but I think in transparent, Oh dude, her arc I, in transparent. I like, I want to cry just thinking about her it's character. It's so heartbreaking. Yeah. It's, it, she deserves an Emmy for every season Jay of that Duplass show. is a fucking dick. <laughs> yeah. And she wasn't even supposed to be a, a main character and she was just so good that they were just like, we just got to keep using her. Cause she is so, she's good at everything and she's not in enough. Um, I mean, like parks and or like, uh, Adam Scott, this kind of got her a gig on parks and rec. As a um, yeah, Joan, yeah. Joan Calamezzo. The political consultant. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's she's super talented. The parents are really good in this movie. There are, uh, Mary Steenburgen mentioned in the interview that there are a lot of takes where if you watch her face, it's she's acting so poorly because she's trying not to laugh. Um, particularly like the car scene where they're just yelling at her. 
there are just a lot of scenes in this where she has Will Ferrell and John C. Riley just screaming at her face, and it's kind of hard to act. <laughs> Those are like two of the. Most I would imposing. not be able to. This is kind of. I think this is kind of like Apex Mountain for John C. Riley. Like between this and know, his role in Talladega and Walk Hard, I think yeah. Okay, from, from Talladega, Walk Hard, and Step Brothers all came out 2006 to 2008. I think that we're going to see a little bit of a John C. Riley, Riley renaissance in Riley, the near future. Riley renaissance because. No. He was in The Lobster, and he was great in that. And now he's going to be in a Joaquin movie called The Sisters Brothers that's getting awards buzz this year. And he was also a very good dramatic actor before any of this. Oh, true. (laughs) Well, I mean, he was in Boogie Nights. He was in Gangs of New York. Yeah, no. And Boogie Nights. Yeah, yeah. fuck. Yeah, he was like a truly good dramatic character actor. Yeah. Uh, And at a certain point, if you're like ugly as shit, your options kind of get limited. So he he wasn't really going to be a lead and he was like, well, I'm also funny as shit. I want to see him in more <laughs> Paul Thomas Anderson movies. He was in Boogie Nights. He was also in Magnolia. Nice. Like, it, it, I just want to see I want to see some more John C. Riley because he is such a dynamic actor. And for a guy who is that goddamn ugly, like, it's just <laughs> incredible. Like, he has to work double as hard to get in movies. Yeah. His big, this, like, most recent movie was Kong Skull Island, and that did not oh, do well. Oh, yeah, I didn't see that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, this is uh, a movie. It, this movie was panned at the time, uh, like, really hard like people e- fucking ebert hated famously it. hated it uh enemy of comedy roger ebert <laughs> enemy of the pod also hey, this movie hey, this, this no. movie has no this movie has no plot so you can kind of understand why critics well, were like well what happened there yeah and and just because of the premise of it is not smart upon first viewing but if you listen to adam mckay all of his quote-unquote dumb movies have a message anchorman's was more obvious because it was pretty clearly about the 24-hour news cycle and how just generally stupid that is and how they have to manufacture news this movie was kind of about the stunted growth of a generation specifically of males of that generation yeah and i mean what's kind of great what is so smart it's kind of an oxymoron but what is so smart about this movie is how fucking dumb it is just like the dialogue in this movie there's no clever or wittiness to it all like it's all just so stupid and so goddamn over the top like just line after line of this house is a pl- is a prison a planet bullshit <laughs> like are you kidding me like <laughs> yeah it's it's just a funny movie and uh, it, it didn't even have to have any depth to it and it has a little bit which is good enough for me i i'm fine with no plot honestly yeah i mean i feel like there's a way that you can do it where you don't have to have well, plot um i i do kind of think this is kind of when Adam McKay started like this is his last really like comedy. I mean, he made the big short, which has some comedic things. Yeah. To Anchorman it. 2. Anchorman, Anchorman 2 and the other guys was after this. The other oh, guy. Oh, yeah. I, I, for, I forgot about the other guys. guys. Yeah. It's um, a great movie. Yeah. But I mean, he's he's kind of trying to go into a little bit more of a uh, critically acclaimed director and. Like we're gonna talk about succession, but that almost has some like McKay flair to it. Yeah. I know that he's not a writer on the show, he's just a producer, he but it almost feels like it. he put yeah, you yeah. can definitely feel his stamp on the whole process. I do feel like one of the reasons also why this got panned is people probably had a little bit of Will Ferrell fatigue. Like at yeah, this time, he was in so much. Will Ferrell shit had like just an ago, like yeah. an eight year run where he was just making like Yeah just really fucking funny movies well, every year. Yeah, and if you're used to a big plot, like like Anchorman is stupid and funny, but it also has like the huge showdown and everything. You could I could see watching this and being like, no effort was put into this. Like I, I hate this. But I don't care. Uh a lot of the time I criticize comedic movies because 
better comedy is found on TV where they don't have to worry about telling a huge story in an hour and a half. So there's more, there's, there's just more time for comedy when you're not telling a big story. Like you can do it and you can make them intertwine, which is something someone like Edgar Wright does really well. Mm. But a lot of the time comedy is just like fucking around. And that's what this movie is. Just like messing around. Yep. All right. Let's take a quick break. And when we get back, we're talking succession. Oh, rip, dude. Yeah. R.I.P. Mac Miller. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't even talk about that. In the bathroom? Like, this girl was going down on me, and, like, she was, like, really sucking sucking on it. And then I, I, I come in, in her mouth, and she just goes up and starts making out with me, puts it back in my mouth, and I just swallowed it. Dude, that's epic. Dude, you swallowed your own load? Yeah, dude. Like, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> That's a thing, right? All right? Join us next week on We Bought a Mic. That's it for that's it for this week. <laughs> um, that's that's a thing, right? Like that's a that's a yeah, thing. Yeah, it's yeah. hot. Yeah, no, dude, it's, it's so like hot. it's there's a name for it. Like it's like a kinky thing. Like it's like a self-contained little cycle. Of, <laughs> it's a yeah. calamari calamari cockering. Your next load is gonna be like twice as big. Um, okay, so <laughs> so uh, Dark Knight is a movie. <laughs> It's incomparable. <laughs> um, HBO Succession, guys. Yeah, let's, let's so get into I it. made I made a big do- boo boo this week, and I th- we were going to talk about it, and I was really excited, and I thought that it was eight episodes long because it's an hour long show with no commercials, and I was like, well, surely they couldn't make it into ten. And at, at the same time, I was midway <laughs> through the season, and I was getting a little bit like I was a little bit like, all right, let's move this along. And I was like, well, it's got to be eight. Yeah, like right around four yeah, or five. It turns out it's 10. And then by the end of episode eight, I was like, thank God it's 10 episodes. <laughs> like, holy shit. It, yeah. This show picks up very excellently. Like, yeah. it, it has a lot of momentum going in. So it. we're, we're going to get into uh, spoilers, but not full on spoilers because Drew hasn't quite finished it yet. Only two episodes left. Yeah. Um, but definitely watch this show. The, the best show of the summer. One of the best shows of the year. Um, fucking succession. It, it it took a while to get there. I think you know it starts out strong, but then um, all right. I I said spoiler alert. So um, you have Logan Roy falling ill, and then you have this like kind of power vacuum where you think that the entire season is gonna be this uh story of like who's going to succeed this dying old man. Yeah. Like that's, that's what it's, it's set up and slowly he starts to 
regain himself and you get James Cromwell coming in as his brother and you get these nice couple episodes of the family just yeah. hashing it out and every and sort of setting up all of the different camps of every different perspective in this whole situation. Yeah, this is But it's slow. Yeah, it, it it it's slow at times and then at other times it's very like palm sweaty like you kept on talking about episode six and I was like, Ernest, if it's a bad episode, <laughs> I no longer respect you. Um, and episode six really delivers because, yeah. you know, it's a big we're just going to spoil it. This, this just spoils for like probably back half of season two, of season. Yeah. One of so succession. we get the we get the vote of no confidence that. Yeah. Um, Kendall. Kendall orchestrates. It, yeah. It's basically a, an attempt to box out his dad because his dad has returned to being like mostly lucid uh when you thought he might just be like full-on insane especially after uh episode five after the thanksgiving dinner that they have where he like kind of loses it and then like smacks kendall's kid yeah at that point that was rough to watch in front of everybody in front of everybody yeah and and that's what gets a lot of people on board with this vote of no confidence and uh the way it unfolds is just it's almost it's like not even like the most creative thing. It's just so tense. Like, oh my god. Yeah, he's just he's just stuck in yeah, traffic. He's just stuck in traffic. Like he went to Long <laughs> Island and he's trying to get yeah, back. And he's the most integral part of the whole puzzle. He has to be there because he is the one that will kind of is driving everyone who who is like kind of on the fence about this vote. And so the way it unfolds is very smart. Uh, Logan's reaction is good as just like a big fuck you to everyone in the room. He fires them all um, and it doesn't and- go through. Kieran Culkin in this scene is so goddamn good. He looks like a scared puppy dog. Yeah. Like, and that kind of rolls into the back half of season one. Yeah, because right after this, we get off. He actually, Kieran Culkin, like, I like where his character went. Like, in the first few episodes, he's just kind of the comedic relief. But then as the season goes along, you kind of get more of the vibe of what this character really is. He is this just this younger brother who's always been like the lesser of the family yeah. and so he kind of has to act out in order to be noticed yeah and they're all and just even, and even in Prague, you get this like throwaway line about this episode eight Prague, this throwaway line about him being in a cage yeah, at yeah. some point no, yeah yeah, yeah. he's just like no man you like doing that you, you like, would ask to go in the cage and eat dog the food fuck is wrong with these yeah. people no and then but also just like god the fucking writing for the show is so good like there's a, also a line in Prague where kendall says something along, along the lines of you're driving a plastic toy car or you're, you're holding a plastic car uh plastic toy car steering wheel thinking that you're in the driver's yep. seat and that's kind of perfect Spot because on. he thinks that after this vote of no confidence where Kendall failed and was kicked off of everything from his father, then Kieran Culkin's character, Roman, really thinks that he is in control now. He, now he's the favorite. But Logan is such a manipulative bastard yeah, that Logan's he's back. using like, everybody. He's full on back in the company. He doesn't have to be sick at home anymore. He proved that no one is going to be able to take him down easily. Yeah, um, yeah. This show has it's got me back on board for a while. Like I, I kind of talked about earlier, the premise of it is a little bit stale, and just in terms of it's fresh because it's politically relevant right in this moment. But if you just heard it without any context of real life, you'd be like, "That yeah, that's like a good 2008 show." Um, just because we're getting so many different perspectives in our pop culture now, but it, it keeps you on board with just how good it is. Like yeah, it's so good. And, it doesn't matter. And episode six, the, the, the vote of no confidence, it goes terribly, you know, yeah. it doesn't go how, uh, Kendall plans. That's like season finale level material yeah. right there. Yeah. Like that, 
moment where it just it just cuts to black after everything is fucking done. You're and or or after Kendall has to step out into the streets and he's just like, oh fuck, like I'm done. I'm yeah. I'm finished. Yeah. That's only the halfway point of the season. There's still four more, five more episodes. It, as go. good as uh, as good as episode six is, um, I think that the episodes that follow are the best of the season. Oh, Austerlitz um, might be. I think the season finale. I think I have yeah. to give it that one. But, but yeah. other than that, I think between Austerlitz and Prague, I. Prague is the funniest thing I've seen this year, without a doubt. <laughs> it's funnier than any comedy that I've seen this year. Yeah, like, and, just... um, cousin Greg having to snort all of the cocaine. I don't do so white that... drugs, <laughs> so that Kendall yeah. doesn't. Oh, this is something I I wanted snort to snort that about. cocaine, and you then, fucking pervert. And then Tom is like, "You fucking coke, bitch! You fucking <laughs> yeah. whore!" I I wanted Look to talk you. about this uh, for two reasons. The first is that it's really cool how they they intersplice like very basic comedy scenarios in the form of Greg into drama uh another another scene that was really good because of this is when he goes out and eats the meal with his grandpa and then he goes on this fine dining tour yeah with uh with tom and <laughs> yeah. he's just sick yeah and he and tom is like let me show you how to be rich it, yeah and that's see that's classic comedy because it's just an idiot who doesn't know how to do something yeah. because he's so full and he's about to puke and then it serves a purpose because he's like hey, yeah i went to dinner with my grandpa and it plays right into the plot because then tom finds out that the grandpa's in town for the meeting that's happening it's really well weaved in it's not just like straight comedy then straight drama it's it, like it works together, which and is I impressive. Mean, I think that one thing that's really cool about this this show is for uh, cast. I mean, of course, Jeremy Strong kind of is the MVP of the show, but like this whole ensemble, everybody gets something to do. Like Matthew McFadden Dude. with Tom is so, good. so goddamn good. And Alan Ruck, who I wasn't a fan of Connor at first, by the end of the season, yeah. I was, every time he came on the screen, I was like, oh, fuck yeah, what is Connor going to say now? His character, I hate so, <laughs> so yeah, I Just wait until you get to the end. They, they get to... He they, sucks. They go to his uh, estate in New Mexico, and he keeps talking about how, like, he has a lot of land and a lot of water and that's why they should care about him because he doesn't really have any stake in the company no, yeah. other than like, you know, being the the family inheritance and and all that. But he doesn't really do anything. And he's just like, yeah, I got this big house. So they invite the whole family over there for this big PR stunt uh, to have this celebrity psychologist come in. This fucking celebrity psychologist just from the jump is wearing this ascot, this silk like ascot, <laughs> and then the whole. Uh, actual sit down of them doing the 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 therapy is bullshit. He's like, so how do you guys want this to go? Yeah, it's like, what the fuck? Okay, dude? I have a fucking therapist. Are you? <laughs> um, I don't think after finishing the show, I don't think that I've ever seen a bigger lock for uh, best supporting actor than Brian Cox. Oh, Brian fuck Cox off. is like he's oh, fuck off. he is. So perfect as Logan Roy, like I can't imagine a, a like a possibly a better performance. He's constantly biggest. trying to find ways to manipulate his quote unquote love for his children to use it as leverage in any situation that he can. Yeah, I it just I mean speaking up to the point that you've seen, Drew, like it's kind of incredible how he's. Despite the fact that he has like early stages of dementia, he is still just so conniving and manipulative yeah. and just able to use everyone against each other. Um, I will say, what is, what's your guys' take on the whole Shiv storyline with uh, 
politician. Well, I mean, her and Tom's marriage makes a lot of sense for the exact reason that Logan like calls her out on. Uh, the affair thing, uh, it just seems kind of predictable. It's like, yeah, they're going to fuck because this girl doesn't actually have that many morals and she's messed up in the head and they have chemistry and she has none with her husband. So, you know, they're going to fuck. I don't know what happens later on. Uh, the what I more want to talk about fake Bernie. Yeah, that's so yeah. like because, you know, there was obviously I mentioned last time we talked about it, all these real life parallels where Logan Roy is essentially Rupert Murdoch, who owns News Corporation, which owns Fox News. Uh, and they play that out like a lot. <laughs> yeah. Like they introduce a literal Bernie Sanders Sanders uh, character. Gil. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what's her? The daughter Shiv works on a political campaign for a rival who could be seen as like like a Hillary or Kamala Harris type. And she moves over to this kind of radical. We can just call him Bernie. He's Bernie. He's <laughs> yeah. Bernie Sanders, literally, like almost like in a like a racist way. <laughs> he's he's uh, a little bit more put together. Yeah, than and, Bernie. He, and Bernie. he's also more uh, slick in terms of yeah. like. There's a scene where like he's like, yeah, you know, you package what the people want, and you tell them that like you want it for them or something. Yeah. Where it's like, I don't. I think the guy might actually just have some morals, but uh, I think that that is kind of an interesting storyline of her like straight up going to the other side of her dad who owns Fox and like literally talks to the president on the phone as I'm pretty sure Rupert Murdoch probably does with Trump right now. Um, It's cool, but it's just not the most interesting thing happening. Yeah. I will say after finishing, that was kind of my least favorite of the subplots. That was the only part where the show, the episodes would kind of take a little bit of a lull. It does come back in a really interesting way. Because the last two are the the wedding. Yeah. The wedding in which all of these characters, slight spoilers for that, but Gil goes to the wedding in which her father is also there. So you see these two. yeah. Yeah. You see these two polar extremes kind of interacting with one another the, which is the, really cool the, the core of this show the thing that we should really spend the the rest of our conversation talking about is kendall and his descent yeah. into drugs so we knew he was going to relapse at least i did yeah and i mean it's set up perfectly and the thing is he is unfortunately a way better character when he's on drugs yeah and, <laughs> and when when you watch those first couple episodes and you watch jeremy strong's performance you're a little bit like taken aback like this guy i don't know about this guy why is he why is he like this and then you slowly figure out that like oh he's like this because he's a fucking addict yeah because he he can't fucking uh compose himself unless he's like getting his fix with something so when he finally starts doing drugs it's like he's relieved and not just he anything he goes on a crystal meth bender yeah yeah like, and it's you know it's sad uh i guess it's it's a plausible situation for him just to just go up to guys in a bar. Honestly, yeah, I think that probably does happen. It kind of mirrors a little bit Harris Whittles' story. Damn. Um, where he would just, you know, he was high-functioning and rich, and then he would just, like, find guys who looked like they had drugs and yeah. just hit them up. Uh, but he is truly a more compelling character on it's, these drugs. It's also an amazing performance. Yeah, It yeah. is one of the best performances. He doesn't play, like how somebody he plays somebody who is actually on drugs not a person acting like they are on drugs like he's never over the top it's i thought that really kind of came to a head because first of all i'm before i get too far ahead of myself i thought that austerlitz was just an incredible episode as far as the roman and um Kendall. Kendall relationship yeah. goes like that was just so great of roman coming to rescue him and then him going there to this 
intervention, basically, that they're having, this therapy session gone awry, and... Gone awry because the fucking... <laughs> the, psycho- the therapist gets all his fucking teeth knocked out yeah, in well, the pool. Yeah, well, that too. <laughs> I was laughing so hard. I, kinda, I mean, the comedy in this show is just unmatched, <laughs> but it's his performance in that scene is so good where he just like it's because he's fucked up he has no filter left like he doesn't give a shit that he's talking to his father now he's calling him out on all of his bullshit and to the point where it just there is no resolution it doesn't have just a happy ending and there isn't really a happy ending in the show because these are like basically kind of real people that exist and it's not like that just happens with families that you have this bender i had a revelation about our family okay now everything's fine and i appreciate this show i also like this show has definite time lapses in between episodes yeah. i feel like that's really to the benefit of the show where it's not i'm not watching this like one episode is one day and then the next episode is the next no, day sometimes weeks or months can go by yeah, yeah that's really cool i also wanted to give a shout out to arian Moyed. i'm sure oh. we're gonna see more of him because he plays stewie yeah who... and he's not he wasn't on the main cast whenever this was just a one season thing yeah but he's he's a really i really, call him yeah. i call him Chaz because he looks like <laughs> exactly like this guy i went to college with his name Chaz. okay that's that's good color <laughs> added <laughs> um hey Chaz. so uh since this is not like like I said it's similar to anti-hero TV because there is no hero but there also is not uh, one anti-hero. We kind of maybe are rooting for Kendall but like not really. I never really In liked really that's, tragic that's the way. thing is that like you're rooting for Kendall like you're made to sympathize with him but at the end of the day he's still a horrible Yeah, person. that's the thing. I'm not rooting for him. I think we were supposed to a little bit, but I never did. I don't root for anyone in the show. I'm not rooting for Kendall in the sense that like I want him to succeed. I just want him to like survive. Yeah. yeah um <laughs> And he almost became more sympathetic when he became an addict, even though he became more of a bad person. But uh, one thing that ensemble shows do, since we're not following one guy, is it's very important how they choose to pair up their characters. Like, who's hanging out with who. The best duo that we have by far is Tom and Greg. Tom and Greg, man. Legendary. So good. And the, like depth that it gets in episode six where it's actually them just hanging out together it's not just tom being just a fucking asshole to greg the whole time i thought that that was perfect because yeah you you can tell that's just like it shows off that this is just who tom is and tom's almost just treating cousin greg like a little brother Mm -hmm. where he's just like bullying him and degrading him but at the end of the day he's just like yo let's go get fucked up and go to like some fine dining place and tom isn't some like diamond in the rough like he's just as fucked up no the thing is yeah tom is the character that's grown the most on me because in the beginning i really did not understand what the actor or what the writing was going for because in every scene he was a different guy it all coalesces later on and you get a perfect sense of who he is yeah he's a total pussy but who is also a dick and is trying to get ahead but is also lower status than anyone in the roy family yeah it makes a lot of sense the way he acts the way he does around greg because that's like the it's like a, a rat being mean to a mouse, basically. Yeah, exact, that's exactly what it is. But then that is mirrored in Greg because as the season goes on, you start to realize that Greg isn't a fucking idiot no, he's either. An, he's nefarious too. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's the best duo. One duo I, I want to see more of is actually Roman and Shiv because whenever they're on camera together, they have an amazing dynamic and yep. they play perfect siblings. As but, two like people who are kind of 
like not the golden child yeah and but then like eight episodes in we only have like three scenes with them and every time it's great and it's way better than shiv paired up with this guy she's cheating with who so far yeah, is yeah, sucks. Nate. he sucks <laughs> yeah he kind of sucks and her and her husband together the whole thing is that they don't work together so when they're together they don't work together mm-hmm. on purpose but whenever she's with him that's great that's something i'm watching for later in the show i watch for it in every ensemble show because it matters a lot who is hanging out with yeah. who and something that um the watch guys talked about or at least at least uh, Chris Ryan did is that the best one of the best things about the show is that it doesn't follow the trend of prestige TV where you bring in a movie star like what Sharp Objects did with Amy Adams or like Ewan McGregor coming on Fargo or like any number of big name actors coming in to to do their thing on TV this show cast for its script and for its characters to pretty much perfection like it didn't try to fit a big name into a role that wasn't necessarily going to work yeah like this is a a almost flawlessly cast show and all of these people are perfect in it yeah this is i mean this is just a really really well made uh show another shout out to shots of hands yeah (laughs) (laughs) they kept that going that might have been like a McKay thing because he directed the pilot and there's so many in the pilot and they they keep doing it I'm honestly I'm kind of glad that because I feel like I the first episode one thing that I wasn't really huge on was the direction it's so many like shaky zooms in and that's weird I I thought that 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 was going to if I was like if the whole show looks like this that's gonna wear on me a lot but it luckily the rest of the show is not like that and um I don't remember who the guy is. There's one guy who directed the last two episodes, which I think are the best uh, directed. It almost gave me, um, without talking anything like specifics in the plot, it gave me vibes of crazy rich Asians just in where it's like flaunting this wealth in front of you. This like this is what wealth and prosperity looks like. Oh, yeah, because like. they're in the castle. Yeah. 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 Um, before we, before we, move, we move on, any theories as to the scars on uh, yeah. Logan's back? It's He talked about his uncle. When he was talking to Kendall, if I talk mm-hmm. to my uncle like that, it's his. Oh, uncle. it's like it's, like the 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 belt or something. Yeah, shit? it's from when he was a kid. He got the shit beat out of Damn. him, and that's why he's the way he is. They all have explanations for who they are, no matter Amazing. how bad they are. I mean, I thought that was a really cool yeah. shot when he gets out of the pool. Yeah, and you're like, whoa. Yeah, you're like, oh, because my well, my first thought was that they looked a little fresh, uh, mm-hmm. and so I was thinking, is she doing that? But no, it's yeah. it's definitely his uncle. They mentioned it like ten minutes before. It's okay. definitely the uncle. Cool. All right, uh, we'll do one last pass on this one. Drew finishes it. Only two eps left. Mm-hmm. That finale, man. That fucking finale. Yeah. Oof. Uh, all right, let's get to our last segment here, which is the return of Recast. Hey, it was huge when we first did it. Everyone yeah. was complaining. We, I we got blown up on the emails. Yeah, we, yeah. It was, I had to shut down the email because we were just getting way yeah. too many. It's just, yeah, it was too much. But Th- This we, wasn't the top rated thing for us to recast. Yeah, number one was SpongeBob. And I, I have a SpongeBob recast sitting on my phone. And I could whip that out at any time and I'm not gonna. <laughs> I'm not gonna any any day any day now. Whenever you guys are fucking ready, but so, we got to space these out to increase demand. Exactly, you know? exactly. Yeah. So the Dark Knight um, had a big summer on the internet because of its 10th anniversary. So everyone was doing think piece after think piece. Like, what is it, it actually great? Is it not good? Well, well, before we get into our recasting, 
Did you guys rewatch it this week? Because so, I just revisited it for the first time in a few years. I um I wanted to watch it on Netflix because it used to be on there, and they took it off. It must have been on there for like less than a month, and now it's gone. So I had to pop in my dirty, dirty DVD. Ew, <laughs> gross. Fucking um, 720p. I saw this probably a year ago, and... My my thoughts upon revisiting are it's obviously not as good as it was when I was thirteen because when I was thirteen it was the best movie I'd seen in my life. Yeah. <laughs> um. And that is what this movie is. It is for casual popcorn moviegoers. It could be your first glimpse at what like really good filmmaking looks like. Yeah. Because you know every superhero That's a great movie. Point. Yeah. It it is. It's Christopher Nolan trying to combine two worlds and please everybody yeah. while also making something that is prestige. I think, and I appreciate that. I think this movie um does transcend the superhero genre because it's it's about these themes of like what what even is heroism what what does yeah. it mean to be like a good person exactly or a it has hero? yeah it has all these it, elements of of something that is way deeper than like a normal yeah, and, blockbuster and it tackles them head on in a really interesting way but i do think it is quite silly still despite nolan's best efforts to see a man in a cape running around well, punching people uh, well, you go ahead on her okay so i just wanted to talk about um some things with i just rewatched this movie last night and um there's some like major major nolanisms in this thing in that it's two and a half hours long this movie this is a two-hour movie there's yeah. no need there's you could literally china, cut out the china stuff dude can go. yeah why why is the character lao even in this movie like i completely forgot until i rewatched it that like Batman is in Hong Kong and he uses a sky hook to get Lao to extradite yeah, him back that. to Gotham. Yeah, there are definite problems with it. Like it, it's too long. And that's definitely number one. There are certain things that are just kind of absurd plot wise. Rachel is uh, underwritten. Yeah, really, really underwritten. I think Maggie Gyllenhaal actually does an incredible job with yeah. limited. A little time. bit of a Katie Holmes impersonation. impersonation. Here's I actually think that she did a better Rachel than Katie Holmes. Oh yeah, personally, yeah, yeah. Here's but, yeah. here's a uh, here's a take that other people have, but that I have finally i'm able to admit this now and i wasn't i really think that christian bale sucks in this movie okay um i, I think it's so, bad casting so i will say because i was actually thinking a lot about this um especially we're going to get to recasting but one of the most important things with batman is you have to be able to play batman and bruce wayne yeah. i think that christian bale is a great bruce wayne he has this kind of american psychoist air to him where he's attractive he's extremely wealthy but like, there's just something under the surface with him that you look at him and it makes you kind of unsettled. And I think is Bruce Wayne is perfect. His Batman is it's bad. It's it's shaky at best. <laughs> More like Batman. I like I I made this argument last Dude, night the with voice, some people. The voice I can't. I just can't get into it. I I made this argument last night with people where I said that this is a hot take, but I honestly feel like Ben Affleck. Overall, I mean, it's kind of not fair to compare the movies because the Batman movies, the Snyder ones are trash. But I think that Ben Affleck is a better Batman than Christian Bale. So I don't think he's even a good Bruce Wayne, honestly. Like, I think I think he is. I think he I, the, the the bad parts of Christian Bale's performance are, are pretty much all in Batman for me. I've never, re- like, bought him as someone that sympathize with in any way honestly like i look into his eyes and i see deadness i don't i don't <laughs> and that's what makes uh, that what is what makes american psycho his best performance well, for me yeah and just he is always he plays weirdos and batman is a weirdo but 
for me, he is the protagonist, and in some scenes, you have to be able to sympathize with him yeah. or empathize. And I just don't feel that at all with him. I feel nothing for this character. I don't care about the character because of him. But I think what truly, truly makes this movie deserve its place in the pantheon, and you can't really argue to knock it down from that, is Heath Ledger as the Joker. Like, oh, this yeah. is why everything about this performance and this character and this everything that they did with 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 Heath as Joker is what earns this movie its place yeah in in the highest tier of superhero movies and as one of the best movies of the of the last decade you want to know how i got these scars yeah and, and everything about him is perfection flawless the scenes with him and bale together are the best bale scenes in the movie like he brings the best out of Christian yeah, Bale. It's uh, one of my favorite scenes upon rewatching it so many years later is the interrogation room scene. Oh, that's where, probably the best scene in the whole where movie. Where there's yeah. talking. And I mean, that's not because, you know, I, the thing is with Nolan movies is it, they. I was listening to uh, the rewatchables did a, an episode on The Dark Knight uh, a few months ago, and they kind of brought up a point which I absolutely agree with, that if you combine Christian Nolan and David Fincher into one person, that's the greatest director of all time. Because mm-hmm. Christopher Nolan relies so much on his set pieces to carry the weight of the film, and a lot of the little character moments kind of go by the wayside, where Fincher cares so much about those little moments, and yeah. he there's Every no really, like, detail. there's not really memorable Fincher set pieces, but... That is one of the few times where I think the screenwriting really shines through, and you have that that little monologue that uh, the Joker gives, where he's just like, "You complete me, yeah. like you, like we are made for each other." So in true. this really so sick true. way, and yeah. and that's how this movie gets the comics right. Mm. It doesn't it doesn't shy in the in the uh, I mean, away from the source material. There's that it scene. There's it. the scene after the chase scene, which. I it might be the I think that's the best actual set piece in the whole movie is the whole this the uh chase scene underground while they're in yeah. the tunnel and that's Batman has a, a chance moment. to fucking kill Joker and Joker's just like do it get me like you won't you won't do it and then he just he can't do it like yeah. he's willing to not do anything because he, he has, this, he has this moral code that yeah, he lives by this, this movie it was an introduction for a lot of us into what anti-heroes are uh and what like it is to just not be like a perfect person yeah. and like i said for me genuinely this was the first movie where i was like oh this is what it looks like when it looks good and this is what it feels like this is what building tension making yeah the the building of tension in this this movie is probably the best part like shout out to han zimmer yeah it has that score it has unnecessary parts and it has a lot of it has some dialogue that leaves a lot to be desired, but it has a crescendo that you just can't take away from. I mean, how this movie gets started is one of my favorite opening scenes yeah. of all time. It's so comic booky in the best way when they're like, they call this guy the Joker. Why yeah. they call him that? Because I hear he wears war paint. <laughs> and it's like, it's like something wherever you're playing like a fucking old, like, uh, superhero video game yeah. on like the PS2, like that's just how goons talk with exactly. each other. And, and there's it's some of so that throughout, perfect. throughout the movie yeah. with the cops and all and that. Yeah. Some of the dialogue does not work at all in those <laughs> scenes, but I think that how this movie gets started is great. Um, I will say, upon rewatching this, this is kind of a nitpick. Um, I think because this was kind of early on in using IMAX cameras for uh, like using IMAX mixed with digital cameras. So I found some of the shots, maybe this is also because I'm watching this on a big TV at home, but 
it's a little bit it was a little bit jarring for me watching the IMAX cut to black bars, cut to IMAX, cut to oh, black they bars, kept cut the to ratio. IMAX. Yeah, it oh. kept the ratio in those scenes and it kind of it took me out of it just a little bit. I, I will say it's done really well at nighttime scenes, but there's certain shots whenever it's the daytime, it's very noticeable when it's cutting mm-hmm. back and forth from IMAX to digital. Yeah. I understand this was made 10 years ago when they hadn't really perfected using IMAX cameras, mm. but it's almost like whenever, like we talked about where we saw Dunkirk, where you like get to the point where you're used to watching IMAX and you're like, oh God, those black bars are back now. Like, yeah. oh, I just want to go back to the full screen mm-hmm. view. That's right. the same thing that happened with Mission Impossible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one more thing about uh, about Heath Ledger's performance, and I think one of the things that highlights just how fucking incredible he is, is the Joker is not a great character. Like, what is the Joker's plan? He doesn't have he, one. He doesn't. He doesn't have a plan. Like, he has no real motivation. He goes after whatever is going to cause the most. It's shit just chaos. To blow up. It's yeah. just all about chaos, and I think that that character can very easily fall apart like hence t- Tom Hardy as Bane in Dark Knight Rises if the performance isn't there but there's something about Heath Ledger's performance that is just it's electric so electric and yeah. so fucking unsettling it's horrifying to watch which is why it was so difficult to recast Heath Ledger as that's the Joker. that is by far so the hardest spot let's let's get started with that one let's get into the recast um does anyone want to go first or should I? Um, okay, so I'll start with Batman. Um, because Batman I actually found pretty easy okay. to recast. Um, Who do you have? I have two guys. My main guy here, Jake Gyllenhaal. I had I had him too, but he's not my main guy. Um, my number two was Hugh Jackman. Because I also, Solid. I think that he'd be a good Bruce Wayne. And he has shown that, uh, that anti-hero, that he has that in his repertoire with Wolverine. Um, if he played like... Maybe, like, uh, you would kind of have to use uh, basically the age of how uh, Bruce Wayne Batman is in The Dark Knight Rises, I feel like, as more of an old, grizzled guy. So you'd pick, like, current age Jackman? Yeah. Okay. Jackman. Um, I really, I think Jake Gyllenhaal. (laughs) Huge Jack. I think Jake Gyllenhaal would be perfect as both because he's shown this kind of dynamism that Bruce Wayne has, but also he's shown that he can be a fucking badass Hmm. and you can empathize with him even if he is the bad guy. I I thought about that because I like Gyllenhaal, uh, but I think he has too much of a boyish thing going on. No matter how buff he gets, his voice is pretty (laughs) high-pitched, and he just... I don't know. He has this thing that I just wouldn't quite buy. I went with a a Nolan favorite, Leo. Oh, solid. Um, Okay. Because eventually Leo got... He lost the boyish thing, uh, like in recent years. And I think, I don't know how he would look if he like gained 20 or 30 pounds of muscle for the role, but you could definitely buy him as a high class man of mystery because he's played that before a few times. Yeah. Um, and then as Batman, honestly, I don't think it takes that much to, for most of the scenes. For the scenes with the Joker, it takes but a lot. But what would Leo's voice be, his Batman voice? It would just be like... I, <sighs> Christian Bale went just way over the top with that fucking voice. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's too much. So scruff. Yeah, yeah he, you can just just kind of uh, just get a little bit like he has. He, I think he could do it a little better than Jillian Hall. I think they would both be fine choices, and I think they would both be better than Christian Bale, honestly. So I I really considered Jillian Hall because he was actually on a couple short lists back in the day. 
Um, but I think that he would just not be a great uh, Bruce Wayne because he. I just don't see Gyllenhaal convincingly being like a playboy. You know, I almost wish he had been Spider Man a long time ago. He would be a good Spider Man. <laughs> oh, he'd be a great Spidey. Yeah, because so, he, he younger, yeah, like younger Jake yeah, Gyllenhaal. He looks like, like, like Tobey Maguire. If they but pick, better. if they pick Jake Gyllenhaal over Toby, I have Ryan Gosling. I think Gosling uh, has somebody what it, brought that up to me whenever I told them about this plan of what we were doing. I just don't buy that. I I think he between his performances in Drive and Blade Runner, he just has the perfect like stone cold face where it could be either a lover or a killer. And I think that Bruce Wayne needs that. And then by becoming Batman, like. Just think about when he murders that guy in the elevator in uh, Drive or when he freaks out in the uh, uh, quarantine room in Blade Runner. Like or the, he can, the place beyond the pines, too. Or in the place beyond yeah. the pines. I don't, like think, that would, I don't go, think that's bad. I, that could work. I, you're kind he of selling me a crazy. little bit more on Gosling. He can go crazy. He can have that stoicism and then go fucking nuts, too. I think the thing is, though, is Bat- I think he's almost too much of a pretty boy for Batman. Um, but th- we need that for a good Bruce Wayne. Yeah, but I feel like there's like kind of a line to cross where you don't want somebody who's necessarily ugly. Like I will say, somebody who I think actually would be a good Batman but a bad Bruce Wayne is John Krasinski. I think John Krasinski could actually be a really good Batman, but I do not buy okay. him at all as Bruce I'm Wayne. I'm not watching Jack Ryan. I'm I'm not watching John that's our Batman main review. Either. That's our main review of next week. <laughs> okay. No, we'll not watch that. Joker next? Yeah. All right, this one was hard. I ended up yeah. kind of coming with an amalgamation impossible. of I came up with an amalgamation of three guys. All right, but you who's ready? your guy? Who's your one guy? See, I can't just... Because the thing is, is if I'm just picking one guy, it's a very, very different role from Heath Ledger. You can't try and replicate Heath Ledger's performance because I just be don't think it's possible. Yeah. Well, the, the so, things that work about his performance, you can try to find in other guys. Yeah. So. So, so tell us about Jared Leto. <laughs> okay, so that was my guy. Oh, spoiler alert. Since Jake Gyllenhaal is my uh, Bruce Wayne, I'm keeping Maggie Gyllenhaal as Rachel. J- Jared, Jared, Jared Leto was actually going to be my Rachel, but <laughs> it's, it's too late. Dude, Jake I was going to Mag- go really progressive. Jake and Maggie's romantic... Uh, their chemistry <laughs> so good um so i kind of dipped into the old well with this one into uh, old the, prior the batman old movies well. not a joker character though but i think with the ability to play dramatic roles that he has shown later in his career i think that jim carrey could pull off the joker yeah he could it would be sure. very different yeah he did and that's ki- that's kind of the thing is that it wouldn't be nearly as over the top and uh, kind of just menacing as it. That's why I kind of came up. Uh, uh, two other guys who I wanted to throw in there are Javier Bardem. Um, um, well, yeah, he's great. I, great I mean, villain. he played one of the best villains yeah. of the 21st no century, No Country. And also, I think Adrian Brody could do the job. Adrian what? Brody was actually on the short list for being the Joker. Hmm. I think I, I don't know. I'm glad that didn't I, happen. Yeah. Have you Maybe. ever seen The Pianist? Like he can do dramatic. Can he, I, I don't yeah, really can he be a villain or a psycho. I see that's my whole thing is Adrian Brody kind of fell off a cliff as an actor, so we'll never really know like yeah. what those like he missed out on like eight years of acting, so we'll never really know where his career co- might you know, have gone. Yeah. But he has the look of the Joker. Yeah. Uh, this is not cheating. It sounds like cheating, but regardless of any news developments in recent months, my pick would always be Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. I don't care if that's cheating. I definitely consider that one. I, yeah. Lee, like Lee I heard and I that worked on this together and that was her no, number one. I, pick. I just, I heard that news and I was like, yeah, that's correct. That's it. 
Like that's yeah. it. That's that's just it. I mean, he's <laughs> like now. I'm, it sucks that we lost Heath Ledger, but. Joaquin is like on that same level I, of talent. See, I and they're from like the same age range too. Yeah. Yeah. I actually I didn't I thought about Joaquin, but I didn't pick him specifically because he might be the next Joker. I just yeah, I don't I just don't care. I think that that is the objectively right choice because I mean they even have similar career arcs. They came up as kind of pretty boys. They they were acting from a very young age together. They were actually friends. Um, Damn. Yeah, and watch the master. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Like he can pull off psychotic better yeah. than anyone I've ever seen. Probably. Yeah. Like it's. Just, I think it's perfect. I, I don't know. I'm really excited for that movie. I hope it's good. Um. Okay, guys. Little bit of a curveball here. Oh, no. But I was trying to think. Like, first of all, I was trying to build a cast, like a cohesive cast together, and also. I wanted someone who was going to do something completely different than Heath Ledger, but still be like slightly alluring and menacing at the same time. Like you can't yeah. really look away. Mm-hmm. Pick Bo Burnham. <laughs> what? Get the fuck right, out of all right, here. All right. Explain yourself. Yeah, go on. Go yeah. on. He's a tall, lanky ass motherfucker. <laughs> and if you stare into his soul, you really think he could be capable of monstrous things. <laughs> I mean, maybe like for Jack Nicholson's Joker, but this movie's too dark for Bo Burnham. I I think just even casting him in anything is trusting him a little too much. (laughs) Like we've we have barely seen him. I'll I'll tell you, I wasn't trying to replicate what Heath did in this movie. I was trying to go something a little different, and I think that Bo Burnham we've seen it in his special he's a fucking performer he's up on stage like yeah hamming it up all the time that's kind of what the joker is he's a showman yeah he's a fucking showman he wants to put on a show he puts on makeup he puts on crazy wacky suits he talks weird like bo okay. could do it i i respect you but but no <laughs> but no that is i mean that's... that is just the biggest risk in the world because he's just it's not like he just he hasn't played like a psycho he hasn't played hardly anything yeah except and, for himself i yeah. mean that's why i didn't even try i i understand your thought process because that was why i picked jim carrey just because were you i thinking, think that he oh were you thinking like different were you thinking keaton was a stand-up and then he he made that jump so then maybe... i mean i mean Heath wasn't even that big back then were you thinking well bo burnham make joke he joker <laughs> <laughs> is that it <laughs> um you know it's i applaud you and i'll fight to the death for your right to say that but <laughs> that's, but no that's i a, was i was really going for it i was really yeah, going for that it. was a swing and i also, appreciate that also lee lee and i worked this on this together so if it's an incorrect choice it's her fault that was actually okay me. even though her choice was arguably the best choice with walking in phoenix yeah um yeah. okay let's let's go to harvey dent okay i think that i have the one for this i one. think i do too all right you go first drew so aaron eckhart the thing with harvey dent is he has to be a charismatic guy who you could see running for office but and the thing that i was talking about with Ernest is he can't be a show stealer he can't be more of a leading man than your leading man right yeah. so he has to be kind of like a b list like a guy who went for like a leo type and then failed and then he just settled into it like a lower yeah. role that guy's matt dillon Ooh. okay I, like all right he's that's, that's good he might and as well he can turn bad he matt dillon is like aaron he is aaron eckhart in my <laughs> mind he might as well be he like he went for a romantic lead role he ended up being the lead in you me and dupree <laughs> and he looks if you look up his face he looks like a a guy who could run for office b a guy who you might root for and c a guy who might be totally evil and i mean and i also think matt dillon has that harvey dent uh quality to him where 
on the surface, he's white knight in shining armor, but there's like something exactly under the surface. That's kind of what inspired my choice on here, which I have. This is like I'm projecting him a couple years from now because right now he's still too young. But Army Hammer, <laughs> honestly, that's, yeah, that's good. Yeah, just, he's just, he's solid. very attractive. Yeah. He looks like somebody who would run for office, run for some kind of a political DA kind yeah. of thing. But also, you but don't you don't really like you him don't that trust much. him, especially <laughs> yeah. seeing him in Sorry to Bother You, which is a movie with lots of issues, he but none maniacal. of them involve him. He can be yeah. maniacal, but in like. A very like low key kind of way, and he does have that ability to him, like in "Call Me by Your Name" and "Sorry to Bother You" in the Social Network, where he is an unbelievable actor, but he's willing to kind of take the back seat. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. He's willing to give he can't the main be... guy. He's willing to like pass the ball out to the and let the other guy. Yeah. Guy, and so. he basically he is a guy who you know he really tried to be that that a like right. number one guy, and he didn't quite make it like that far okay. for whatever reason. So with my pick. I definitely try to, uh, like you said, go for someone who wasn't going to steal the show. But I wanted to pick someone who was going to elevate this role a little bit. Because, to be honest, I forgot that Aaron Eckhart was in this movie. <laughs> I like I was making my list and I was like, oh, yeah, Two-Face is in this. Oh, shit. So He's if, in like 20 minutes of the movie, if, to be fair. If I, if I picked someone who was a little bit more... Um, I don't know, better of an actor than Aaron Eckhart, then it could be a little bit, it, it would elevate the part, but not quite steal yeah, the yeah. show. So I picked Ethan Hawke. Okay, that's interesting. I actually have Ethan Hawke later on in my yeah, list. Yeah, and I think as, Ethan, as Gordon, right? And I think Ethan Hawke, yeah. <laughs> yeah. he would be a great Gordon, but I think I think Ethan Hawke could do the, the pretty boy white knight thing perfectly, but I would love to see him just go off the rails yeah in a villainous no that role. is that is a good choice and he, he could do it well and yeah. he's a he's a very generous like actor like personality yeah. he's, he's not a guy who's gonna be like no you make me fucking batman or i'm not being in this right. movie you know like that yeah. yeah i think we all have solid choices here i yeah. yeah i i i do think this is kind of our best one yet yeah. where we all kind of have the same thought process for it by the way i have ethan hawk as uh lucius fox by the way Drew. okay um, oh, really okay so, so, no, so lucius fox no, no, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> um i want to do rachel because this was a tough one because like you've said the most like, underwritten character it's the, the most underwritten movie. character so i tried to pick somebody who one i was thinking somebody going with my casting of jake gyllenhaal's batman somebody who i think would have a real good chemistry with him and also would be somebody who can add something to the role and i picked naomi watts Okay. Okay. Yeah, that works. Yeah, totally I think works. that I mean, again, we're not really we don't have a lot to work with here, but as far as like quality of actress, she is unbelievable and yeah. she can pull she can pull scenes out of shit, out of shit dialogue, she can make something from them and, and make man, you care you about can, her. If you can act against Dougie Jones, you can act against yeah. anyone. Yeah. Um yeah, the thing to remember with Rachel is that we cannot rewrite the movie. We cannot give her a single other line. It has to be those lines. Yeah, I mean, if I could, choose? if we're recasting like the writer, I would take Jonathan Nolan off this project. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Johnny, but um, so I went because my initial thought was like I wanted someone who could really command that role. But the the thing is, like, it almost can't be that because that is not a scene stealing role. So if you cast an actress who steals every scene, like Charlize Theron, that's who I was thinking. That's first. yeah. I actually had that thought, but she's too much of a scene. Yeah, because then right. every time you see her, you're like, well, that sucks that yeah. she's stuck right there, and it'd be insulting to her. Yeah, so a, an actress of that caliber, exactly. So, well, so I I chose someone who is 
a scene stealer, but also I've seen them be very generous and be like a crappy side character before, and that's Emma Stone. She started her career. I'm sure Charlize did as well, but early in her career, she was doing really thankless roles, and she she was never like someone who was like trying to be like, "Hey, look at me, I'm over here." Like she was just always playing the part really well, and I think she could do that. Like her age now, but her status back then as like not super famous would work together really well. I can see that. I uh, that would work really well for the Rachel Joker musical number that they have in the middle of the movie. Too. <laughs> well, with Gosling, Joker's I mean. just like I just want to save jazz. Da, 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 Who was da, your da, da, your da. Batman? It was um Leo. Okay, so Leo and Emma. Uh, I could see it. I could see it. So Emma Emma Stone is everything that Jennifer Lawrence wants to be. My um my Rachel is someone that I wanted to fit into this cast um, without feeling a jarred uh, but still like provide a, a, a little bit more um uh interest something a little bit more interesting than what maggie gyllenhaal brought to the table and i think maggie gyllenhaal is a great actress um but i wanted to pick someone that could oh, like, I know. insert a little bit more uh something just more interesting let me guess it. katie holmes <laughs> oh god no <laughs> no i picked uh tessa thompson okay I think uh, she's very talented. Added some and diversity to the, I, to the Nolan verse. You know, I was going to say she's too good, but she actually played a pretty small part in uh, Creed and she did perfectly. Yeah. So and then, I think she would work. And then looking at her work in Westworld, like she can she can really fit into this. She can carry uh, bad right, bad Jonathan Nolan right. Yeah, exactly. she can be a character who sucks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and really make it her own and, and be a, a, an interesting person to watch on screen. Because... Yeah. Maggie Gyllenhaal, as good as she is, you're never really interested in what she's doing in any of her work yeah. in this film. And and I do want to give her props because in the Deuce, she's incredible. Yeah, um, yeah. so she is Which a really good gotta, actress. We got to catch up on that. Yeah. Um, okay. All right, uh, you guys want to get into the toughest? I think this is maybe even tougher than Joker. Alfred. Alfred. That's and I. I had Kane a lot is, of Michael Caine is perfect. <laughs> He is literally perfect. You guys might laugh at mine because I just picked like the most other British dudes that I could think of. Because, I mean, you have to have somebody who's just really fucking cockney in like a perfect way. Um, I picked Colin Firth. Oh, I guess. he's Well, I mean, he's shown that he can kind of be the guy behind the guy in something like Kingsman. Yeah. So that was kind of, I think I, it was kind of a mix. It was between Colin Firth I mean, he's and Alan. Definitely, he's definitely the guy behind the guy and, on the boat in my Mamma Mia 2. Okay. Yes. Well. Um, Colin Firth. And then this other one actually, I think might actually be a better version of Alfred is Alan Arkin. Yeah. I'd, I'd buy that one more. Actually. I love Alan Arkin. Man. I just, I just want to see Colin Firth in um, a role like Alfred. <laughs> I chose the actor who has the, something that i will call butler face uh which is when a guy looks like a butler no matter what role he is in and that's charles dance old british guy oh. okay i just look right. up his face man like he is he has butler face like okay. you've heard of butterface but so, butler introducing face. so the guy that i picked for um alfred um oh charles dance he's fucking tywin lannister yeah, see, I don't even watch oh. Game of Thrones, but he's been in a bunch of shit. He's a very he does have. I, I could see that actually. Yeah, I, I, could, I could see yeah, that. that could work. Butler face. Okay, so for my Alfred, I wanted to. So Alfred, are you going to say this for everyone? I wanted to do someone who might like elevate the role. <laughs> Alfred is. This movie isn't good. Is what we're getting at here. Alfred is a like Her Majesty's uh, Royal Navy veteran or something like that. Like he was a he was a soldier. 
that's his background. Um, so I kind of wanted to have someone that harkened back to that, but still uh, gave it a, something a little different. And also, I didn't want to. I wanted to switch it up a little bit and not go British. Mm. Uh, and also, I picked someone who's shown up in a Batman film before, and that's Tommy Lee Jones. I mm. think Tommy Lee Jones could be that father figure for Bruce and also be like a fucking hard ass like he sometimes needs to yeah, be. But I feel like Tommy Lee Jones, he is hard ass, but I feel like he's also, he has this like kind of swagger about him that Alfred doesn't have. Alfred is willing to be the guy who fixes Bruce Wayne's broken wi- ribs and is able to kind of take Tommy Lee Jones would be like fix him. I will say I would buy Tommy Lee Jones. Um, and I think I forgot to bring up while talking about the dark Knight. What was up with the whole anecdote that, uh, Michael Caine gives at one point about being a soldier in Burma. Oh, that, that is to make Bruce realize that the Joker, he's uh, an agent of chaos. It's, it, it's a monologue. That's there. A five minute monologue. That's there for one, for like, 10 seconds of dialogue for one memorable line. It's a good, it's a good moment. It's, it's a, a good, good line, but I, I had great. so many more questions after like rewatching. I was like, wait, so I, one Bruce Wayne's like 40 and he's never heard this story before until like right now, <laughs> this whole like story about whenever he was hunting a, a like he was in Burma hunting a pirate. Yeah. And <laughs> like, what a bizarre thing to it's not like tell Alfred, the guy who you literally the, live with cool, all the yeah, time. So, Alfred, that's the coolest shit you've see, ever told me. I want to see a fucking Alfred movie <laughs> after hearing that. Alfred, I thought you were fucking boring. Did you catch the guy? How'd you do it? We burned the force to the ground. <laughs> Mr. Wayne. Mr. Wayne. <laughs> Mr. Wayne. Uh, okay, let's go to Commissioner Gordon. Yeah. All right, he's not quite Commissioner Gordon yet. He's, uh, I, he's, I'm dead. Just kidding, because... I'm fucking the shortest. I dead. Honestly, I had a hard time recalling like adjectives about that character. Like, what would you? How would you describe that character? Um, not, I would not say the performance, the character. Subdued. Oh, that's more about the performance. Well, than, well just the, the way it's written is kind of as well. Like, it's just yeah. kind of. There's not a ton about Gordon. I don't know. So that what kind of think? that kind of Gary plays Oldman. In, Gary Oldman's great. Gary Oldman brings a lot to like, the role, yeah. and that's why. And Gary Oldman is great with subdued performances, and that's why I picked Ethan Hawke as Gordon because okay, yeah. Ethan Hawke has proved that he can fucking knock out of the park with a subdued performance. Look at First Reform that came out this year. There's nothing over the top about that performance whatsoever, yeah. and it might be the best performance I've seen all year. Yeah, I went with someone who I could see in like a, a police commissioner role but i switched it up a little i went with sigourney weaver Ooh, okay she is a she's she would actually make a great court well a she's one of my top i was five. very racist and sexist on this <laughs> so i just cast people well, according yeah. to how they look oh, just, she's one of my top five favorite actresses probably ever just i in everything she's in i think she's pretty perfect and i think she could settle into this role really well again she's really a generous actress she's not like demanding on all your attention because commissioner gordon is just kind of like a low gordon it's gordon, a low-key character well gordon just has to be a good cop in a city full of crooked cops he's the only one yeah that's good. that's the thing at the end of the day you you do know that he is not a bad person yeah. and i think that you kind of always root for sigourney or at least i do i really yeah. i just really like her mm. i have Actually, I have two here. Um, one it was Lee's pick, and the other one's mine. So Lee suggested Idris Elba. Uh, so I was almost thinking about him being Batman. Yeah, he'd be a good Batman because he's obviously fucking. Like, it would. Badass. It would really narrow down who's Batman. Um, but Willem Dafoe is my pick. 
as Gordon. Yeah. I well, could, okay. I could see that because, you know, I was thinking that he's usually like not relatable, but in Florida Project. Exactly. Yeah. So based on his performance in the Florida Project, you can tell that this guy can be endearing. He doesn't have to be this crazy, wacky, villainous Yeah, I'm surprised guy. none of us picked him for the Joker because of how zany he is as no, Green Goblin. No, but I, I think Spider-Man it'd be more stuff. interesting to see him as Gordon to just yeah. be this like this yeah. good guy, this, yeah. this core. I, I like that, yeah. I also like Idris Elba because he's kind of getting up there in age. He's got like the gray beard now. Mm-hmm. I think he could he could work. I was thinking he was too young, but honestly, he's like he's like forties, yeah, early fifties at this okay. point, probably. I think we um, we're down to our last one. Fox, Lucius yeah. Fox, Lucius Fox. This one was hard because okay, so here's kind of a hot take um, that also goes back to the rewatchables, but it's a sentiment I've always thought. I don't think that Lucius Fox needs to be a character in these movies. I feel like Alfred, Alfred already does so much and he's so knowledgeable with these gadgets. Why can't That's, he also be the Lucius Fox character? Well, because someone needs to run Wayne Enterprises. I, do they, though? Does anybody <laughs> give a shit about that? All the, the only thing prominent about Wayne Enterprises in this movie is we get the worst character of the entire story, which is Coleman Reese, who discovers the plans for the Batmobile. And I just want like, $10 million. $10 million every, every year for the rest of my life. <laughs> and you're like, who the fuck are you? Also, why did they just leave plans for the fucking Batmobile lying around? So I don't think that this character no, should exist. I do agree because it is too old guys who kind of give sage advice at um, the end of the day yeah i guess so but the only well, no, other what, person that's, that's why i'm saying like it could make sense that they're the same guy yeah yeah, yeah 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 yeah. that's what i was trying to say um the only other person who i feel like could fit in here but this would be casting for his age now is danny glover nice. i think i think that danny glover would actually do a really good would he also role. wear the tan suit Yes. You're getting too old for this shit, Batman. (laughs) No, but I think not like young Danny Glover whenever he was more like spry and everything. But I feel like if you took him at like the age of Morgan Freeman kind of as this guy who has seen so much shit, who's grown up and he seems like he could be very, very knowledgeable about all the inner workings of getting these special gadgets and how they actually work. Um like, yeah, I, I I believe that I, he was on my short list definitely. Okay, um, I went with Jeffrey Wright. Nice, and okay. his audition reel is all of Westworld because <laughs> he's always holding a stupid looking future tablet <laughs> and he always has weird Jonathan Nolan technology and he's explaining it and he does a good job with just dumb jargon yeah, that just isn't real. Literally, just cut him out of Westworld and plop him into Dark. Yeah, because the tech in Dark Knight is stupid as well. It's like yeah, we sonar. It, yeah, Dude, exactly. Okay, it's yeah, stupid. Yeah, let's talk. About, uh, I'm sorry, I may have cut you off while you're doing it, but the whole thing with Lucius Fox, how they have the ultimate Deus Ex Machinas of Deus Ex Machinas. Oh, the we're, eyes. We're, we're gonna have we're gonna have, we, every single person's phone in the city is gonna be used as sonar, creating a map in the darkness. Yeah. We'll find where the Joker is. This yeah, way. you ever see how bats can't see? <laughs> like it's it's terrible. It's so stupid. <laughs> okay, so my Lucius Fox is Francis McDormand. Ooh. Yeah, I I thought that she it'd be interesting to see her in this role, hey. running the company, and then also like sneakily designing all his gadgets. I mean, I, in the yeah, I'd like, I'd like to see her in a yeah. lot of stuff. Yeah, Frances McDormand as the Joker. Are you into it? Uh, maybe she's she. I think she could do crazy really well. Yeah, I guess. 
Yeah, I don't think that she would have the zany. It's because I feel like a core part of the Joker is the zaniness. That's why I went with Jim Carrey so much is because I feel like he could be so over the top. He could have that maniacal laugh, that ho, hey, ha, ha, ho, yeah. ha, hey, ha. Like, I feel like Jim Carrey could do that while also being very ruthless and like despicable well, one thing is for sure about if people can't one thing's for sure about if he got that role is he would make the entire process a nightmare for everyone involved <laughs> he would method act the whole time he would yeah, be like would. jared leto being the joker where he like just sends people raw yeah, meat yeah exactly like he would do exactly birds. that um because he did that for like a and it way would, less it went, important. In, it went incredible for jared leto so like yeah. just to say it wouldn't have worked out yeah, yeah dude yeah we all love that all right um Good, good recast, guys. This was a good one. Do you guys recast Lao? Uh, yeah. Um, Ken Jong. That's you, racist. You just came up with that. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> Ernest looked up and I could see. I, I saw see the inner workings. He's like, "Do I go with Ken Jong or Asian Jim here?" <laughs> John uh, Randall Park. Oh yeah, John and Randall Cho. Park. No, I would be actually very uh, woke, and I would go with Woody Harrelson. <laughs> To play an Asian man. I'd go with Oct- Octavia Spencer. <laughs> Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. See, we're all... We're we're better at casting than anyone, really. Yeah, why aren't if we you, casting directors? If you think that Ernest One text uh, Ernie to Wabam Dark Knight 69 on your phone, that's uh, like 9, 1, 1, uh-huh. uh, 6, <laughs> etc. Okay, <laughs> followed by the others. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, I think I think what we sh- will. What should we do? Uh, what should we recast next? Definitely not SpongeBob. God, <laughs> I just let's recast a bad movie. Okay, and make it good. Let's recast a bad movie. What's, and make well, it, let's recast like Bright. The the, the question is, what Jeez. is a movie that is bad because of the acting? Because usually it's because of other things. It's usually bad. because of the writing. Yeah. It's, so good acting carrying. So, bad you're right writing, though. We so. should we should try to come up with one though. Email us. The room. At we bought a mic at gmail.com if you have any suggestions for us or at we bought a mic on Twitter. Let us know what we should recast next. Okay. Uh, I'm around. Just look me up. You'll see me like proling the streets at night. Yeah, yeah. Looking for crime. R slash the Batman. Yeah. The Batman. <laughs> All right. R slash save Ben Affleck. Oh, if, if, if you think I won today's plug section, text <laughs> Drew's plugs. <laughs> To me, if you think that I won a Wabam section, hit me up on fax. Yeah, um, I'll fax you back in five to seven business days, uh, not including weekends pretty, or holidays. That's pretty fast for fax. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, I'm falling apart. I'm yeah, getting so I'm, hungry. Right I'm now. not on snail mail anymore, guys. Um, yeah, I'm on Twitter and Letterbox. Follow me or don't follow me. I don't care. I'm just writing reviews for nobody. Yeah. <laughs> Same. I'm at Calderness on Twitter and Letterbox and Instagram and all that bullshit. Um, I wrote a review for Amelie. You guys ever seen Amelie? No, nah. I actually haven't. It's on Netflix. I saw it for the first time. It's it's cute. It's good. Okay. It's actually really good. It's actually like very well made. But you know, um, I will say I did do a re-review for uh, Captain America: The Winter Soldier since it was on last week's episode oh, where we yeah. talked about a Marvel fest, and I kind of point out that Scarlett Johansson makes that movie not as good. Okay, good. so good spoiler for my review. <laughs> okay, good. I'll save yourself a click. Like she's bad. What are we? What are we doing next week? The Predator. The Predator uh-huh. and White Boy Ricky. Huh. Right, white boy, white boy, the, the second coming of the reconnaissance. 
Mm. Are we watching both of those? No, I'm not going to watch White Boy Ricky, I don't think. <laughs> I'll probably that's probably a better movie than The Predator. <laughs> is it though? Do, does it have is a cutout it? scene with a child sex predator is the question. <laughs> There's a joke in there somewhere. Yeah, I'm not going to make it. <laughs> Sorry guys. Catch it catch that joke next you week. You want to you want to hear the summation of that joke, the payoff? Tune in next week. Yeah. All right. See you later. Tell your friends. Bye. Review us on iTunes. Bye-bye. <laughs>